0: Bench talk about their hockey influences, their hockey journey, their hockey stories. It's behind the bench with Neil Francis. I'm Gareth Hewish, and I'm joined as always by Mr. John Donovan. John, how are you, sir?
1: I'm I'm good, Gaz. I'm a little tired. Boy, that guy can talk. The only episode we've ever done for two full days, but uh, hopefully it was worth it. I had a birthday. (laughs)
0: we're out of lockdown
2: most clean shaven (laughs) now i look like santa that's why you gotta watch a
0: youtube version of this pod (laughs) (laughs) and i'm joined by the man of the marquee mr neil francis franny how's it going
3: hello guys how are you doing um yeah good engagement from the last one from uh from Vez, you know, Vez told some great stories and it, it also prompted so, some other stories coming forward. So big shout out to uh, Ricky and Martin Maloney yeah. who, who got in touch and uh, sent me a couple of private messages about, you know, the big brutes that I talked about stopping Coventry, going into the uh, into the rink for the, for the um, Challenge Cup final. I forgot that they lined up the stairs as well, all the way, and they were all crowded on uh, on the bench, mm-hmm. and there was loads of them. And apparently, one of the um, cover it was Payette and somebody else um, questioned why there would why there was so many security needed around their bench because they didn't have much room to stand on the bench. And uh, the the guy just turned around to them and said, "Shut the f up and play hockey," <laughs> 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 and, then, and gave him like a stare and. I think one of the guys' names. I I should have looked it up and been more prepared, but it was something like one-eyed Al or something like that. And that—that was one. That was one of the guys that was. Yeah, that was one of the guys that he had on there. So he was there. Yeah, he was. uh, What was his name? Hang on, I'm going to look up his name. I
1: mean, uh, there was all the next episode, though, not We're having one eyed dial on. I
0: got, <laughs> yeah. I got
1: lots of questions for one eyed dial. I already know his name. <laughs> of questions one
2: <laughs> were yeah. they in the little uh, photographers? Because the photographers had a, like little gap between the benches, didn't they? Were they in there? Well, no,
3: they, they were right because you had the tunnel coming up the yeah, stairs yeah. and they were kind of encroaching onto the bench where that's the where the door was that the players yeah, were in, yeah. in on the ice. So they're kind of. You can see the pictures and Ricky shared it. You know, there's there's loads of them around there, so there's not much room <laughs> at all. And uh apparently um there were there might have been some stink bombs let off in that uh in that uh, dressing room or in and around it, um, just to make things even worse for them. So uh absolute uh absolute beauty stories from those so oh One-Eyed Lee it was sorry Lee I got your name wrong but uh, One-Eyed Lee if, if you Lee... put One-Eyed Lee together
1: with One-Eyed Al they made a perfect
3: double act you know yeah yeah so yeah we'll, we'll have to track down One-Eyed Al but One-Eyed Lee was uh, was our boy there who uh, who probably deserves um a winner's
0: medal more than I did that game <laughs> <laughs> And I'd say tip of the hat to to you, Producer Hubs, for uh, the outro for last week. There's some great footage uh, in that uh, YouTube presentation, especially Fez's story about that first goal in the Challenge Cup final and the build-up to it. Um, I could hear his story come through again when uh, I was watching that clip. So uh, thank you very much for all your hard work on that episode. Yeah.
3: Fantastic memory recall by Vez, by the way, on that, knowing that Wally iced, uh, iced it and then they had to skate all the way back. You can see Vez chirp all the way yeah, back yeah. to the face-off dot as he did. And then, of course, he wins it, Bergie rims it. And, uh, yeah, Vez ends up putting a great pass onto Remps. And the bit I love about that goal is that in the process of shooting, Remps runs over one of the Coventry teammates. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what a beauty. But, yeah, good work, Hubs. Yeah, trying to find some of what uh, Todd was talking about might prove a little bit different <laughs>
1: <laughs> also has great work on taking out 80% of the swearing as well we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, were yeah. going
0: to use a bleeper but it turns out it would have just sounded like one of those broadcasts you get at the end of the night <laughs> with a test card just a But it was a fantastic episode from Vez and uh, it was great to speak to him. And I sense there's plenty more stories in the tank. So I think there'll be another Vez episode down the road. All of our back catalogue is available wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Um, And we'll also get to work on uploading them all uh, to YouTube as well. You can find us uh, at BTB Franny on Twitter. And as Franny alluded to, it has been some great stuff on the in the past week lots of people getting involved with memories and pictures and things so please give us a follow get interacting with us and uh we can expand all the things we talk about on the podcast on our social media channels but guys uh we've uh got some business to attend to right now we uh hear a lot from mr todd kelman about uh his day-to-day operations with the devils and plenty of stories about how he came to Cardiff, but we've never had a chance to sit down and talk to him about where his hockey journey started and what the early days were like and coming to the UK. So it's, uh, I guess it's time to cross over to uh, our conversation with Todd Kelman about his hockey influences. And we are delighted to be joined by Cardiff Dell's Managing Director, Mr. Todd Kalman.
4: Todd, how are you, sir? I'm great. I'm so happy to finally be on the show. I've been waiting for a year and a half to be on this thing. <laughs> well, we've been running oh, we run run gas, so. so it's good to have you, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I, followed, I followed Vezio Sacratini. You guys went great guns with Scaldi, and, I, and then I had to wait a week because Vez got, came on. So, And after see yeah. you get done editing that show, um, <laughs> this one's a little cleaner. Uh, it has
0: got the most Ofcom complaints of any podcast, even though Ofcom don't regulate podcasts. So I'd <laughs> like to thank Vez for his uh, artistry and swearing.
1: On, on that note, guys, if I may, I'd, I'd like to thank you for being Oprah Winfrey tonight because Todd did try and silence me for a while and I had to take a break from the institution that was the car. Uh, <laughs>
4: You know, also know, sorry, also known
1: as the firm. <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> Maybe that's a whole different episode, John. Maybe I should be asking the questions. We... Oh, that would be a good episode. I mean, are, we, uh, are, we, are we friends again, John? I, I, well, I you know, well,
3: there's a pause. He hasn't said yes straight off the
4: bat. Oh. All I'm
3: saying is, I don't oh,
4: I'll pull together three or four pounds and send you over a six pack of Foster's. Here. <laughs> I see you're drinking the good stuff tonight. Well done.
1: I'm living it high in my shed.
4: <clears throat> well, you've yeah, well, got a that... hunter and dancer looking over your shoulder right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm in my grotto. It's my, you know.
0: All I want to know is who's paying my fee if I'm the Oprah in all of this, because I've uh, seen sight no sound of any of uh, those negotiations. he those goes for after the pod. Todd, let's go all the way back. I'm uh, Test your memory and test your... <laughs> what, when you were growing up, were your hockey influences from your hometown? What was it that sparked your love and devotion to ice hockey at a young age?
4: I think uh, it's very typical, I guess. Every Canadian probably has the same story, right? Like, they they started playing... It's it's exactly... I, I remember John asked Scaldy, is it actually like that? Is it like what people talk about playing on outdoor rinks and and pond hockey and, and all that kind of stuff. That's exactly how it was for me. I lived uh, I lived my house backed onto a, an outdoor rink. Um, I actually worked at the rink down the road. I had, a, I had a, an ice rink probably, I don't know, half a mile from my house. I worked there growing up. I was a janitor and a rink rat. I actually used to take the Zamboni home from school, if you can believe that. So the Zamboni would drive by the rink and the guy, I knew him because I'd worked my summer job there and he would wave to me and I'd jump on the back of the Zamboni because he was going to flood the outdoor rink and my house was right next to the outdoor rink so he would he would literally drive me home and uh, <laughs> and yeah, like a lot of late nights with the hose outside, my dad would be in charge of the initial flood for the for the rink and all the dads in the neighborhood took their turn and then when it got thick enough, the Zamboni would come over and, and start flooding it. Um, yeah, it was... It's it's very typical. It sounds like that Canadian postcard image that you see and, and hear about, but it's it's very very true. And I I I think it's honestly probably the greatest childhood you could have is is growing if you like hockey is growing up in Canada.
3: Oh, that that's super posh, isn't it? Having a Zamboni to your outdoor rink. Not, not everybody gets that.
4: No, I don't think everyone has that. Our, <laughs> Zamboni, our Zamboni actually also. Fly, this is how. So so the lake that Steve King that you always see on Steve King playing hockey on the lake that he lives on. The other side of the lake is like the public, like he lives in the posh houses on the lake. And then the rest <laughs> of us, the rest of us had what it was called, like you had a lake pass where you actually got to, had to go through the public entrance. And so we all played hockey on that lake that Steve King. Um, on, on, on King uh, Lake. On King Lake, as he likes to. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's the lake that I grew up, uh, that I grew up playing on. And, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, lots of guys that I grew up with, um, like, that's, that's our fondest memories. There's guys that don't you know, played in this league. Like, one of my best friends growing up was Sean Selmser, who you guys probably remember the name. He played for Coventry for a year, but he played for Belfast for a little bit. played for Glasgow when it was still air or something. But, yeah, we grew up playing hockey on the lake together.
1: How um, – you, you told me uh, – talking about Steve King and the King connection, you told me a, a story the other day, because I was asking you about uh, the Olympics in 88, because, you know, I, I've still got all those on VHS, and I was talking to you about – the big red machine and Eagle Larry Noff, who, who basically is up there with Rick band as my favourite player, and obviously they were in Calgary. Um, and oh, and you,
4: good seven minutes into the podcast, There's <laughs> <honest. laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, a new record. Yeah, three minutes is. into my wedding vows, I mentioned him.
5: <laughs>
1: and Todd, I'm also impressed
3: that you know the Rick Parbant gag because that means that you're a fan <laughs> of the pod and an yeah, I'm a huge yeah.
4: fan of the podcast. I'm the guy. I'm the guy yeah. who on the podcast. <laughs> anyway, How big were
1: those Olympics for you, and what's the Steve? What's what's the King family connection there?
4: So, so, the, so Steve King, uh, Steve King's father is Frank King, and Frank King is the legendary man who brought the Calgary 1988 Olympics to Calgary. And people don't know that about uh, maybe his family. And you ask Steve about it, and Steve's like, "Yeah, like my my." My dad was missing for a number of years from my childhood because (laughs) because basically he was he was bringing the calgary olympics like and and that olympics changed everything changed everything for calgary um it was a smaller town not a town but you know like a, a, a population exploded after the olympics and frank uh frank revolutionized it and and the thing is i'm an olympic nut absolutely love the olympics and so frank king was kind of a hero of mine even though as much as I knew Steve, I, I'd never met Frank. And when I was in Belfast, Frank, um, Frank and his wife, uh, Steve, met, Steve called me and said, "Hey, my dad and my mom are traveling around Ireland, and they'd love to. They're coming to Northern Ireland. They'd love to have dinner with you and and Shauna, your wife." And and so I was like, "Yes, absolutely." And so when we're <laughs> heading out there, Shauna says to me, "Like, do not ask Frank about the Olympics. He's probably so sick of talking about the Olympics. Don't ask him about the Olympics." Promise him, I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I won't say a word." And at the other time, like an hour into our conversation or 10 minutes into our conversation, Frank tells me the story because we mentioned the Olympics. We start talking about it. And he said, you know what? My wife, when we were at the hotel said, whatever you do, don't bring up the Olympics. Everyone's, <laughs> Everyone's sick of hearing you talk about the Olympics. And honestly, it was, pro- it was probably more like thir- three minutes into the conversation. I was just like, Frank, I got to say, I-, I love the Olympics. i on half of every Canadian. I'm so happy you brought it to Calgary. Changed my life. And um. And those Olympics, they they had you, you could volunteer for the Olympics, right? And this is the big thing they they ran the, a good portion of it on volunteers. And if you were a kid, I was thirteen at the time, and uh, and my my classmates or my, not my classmates, my teammates and me, you could volunteer to clean up for the Olympics. So I got to work all the hockey games, and literally, I have a T-shirt that says I cleaned up at the 1988 Winter Olympics. And that's all you got, and and then you got a ticket to the closing ceremonies. And everyone, every kid I knew, cleaned up at the at the Winter Olympics. And if you were a figure skater, you cleaned up the at the figure skating events. And for me and my buddies, we cleaned up at the hockey. We got to see, we got to do ever. We got to see Sweden and Russia and Canada and all the teams. It was it was such an amazing experience.
1: And Gaz, can I sorry, can I ask one more Todd about your young hockey? Because I was thinking about this today. Because obviously I'm a football fan. I'm a Cardiff City fan and the rivalry we've got with Swansea City, you know, people always think, oh, you want another Welsh club to do well, and I couldn't care if their stadium exploded and, and you know, they, they cease to exist. What, what was it like growing up for you? And, and, you know, you know me, there's a few parts to this question. What was it like growing up for you as a Flames fan in the 80s? And then when that Gretzky trade to Los Angeles in 88, when the whole of Canada was like mourning, w- were you the happiest guy ever that he'd left Edmonton?
4: When Wayne Gretzky... Got traded to the Los Angeles Kings. I I don't know if uh, I don't know if I ever liked Wayne Gretzky before that moment, and and that's like that's like not liking Sidney Crosby right now. Like Wayne Gretzky is a god in Canada, right? And but because he played for Edmonton, like Edmonton and Calgary are three hours away from each other. At for the for ten years, they were they were you know probably well probably for seven years in a row, they were the two best teams in the NHL and basically whoever won that battle of Alberta went on to the stanley cup finals at least and and unfortunately the oilers were were it and um and yeah i was so i i I was one of those fans that like every time gretzky got the puck in calgary i'd be booing him and calling him a whiner and whiner gretzky and all this kind of stuff everything and then we got traded to la you start to appreciate how good he is and like i am a huge gretzky fan i would list him as like my top three players but Not until, not until 1988, 89. So, um, and I remember in in 1986, uh, a rookie defenseman named Steve Smith Mm -hmm. for the Edmonton Oilers. He shot the puck coming out. Like he was behind the net. He takes a step out. He tries to make an outlet pass. He hits the back of his goalie's pad, scores on his own net to put the flames, the flames win the series on the goal. And that's how we advanced past the Oilers and it was like the, the Oilers had won back-to-back Stanley Cups. They were rolling. They, they didn't win it at 86. They won two more of the years after that, all because of that goal. The poor guy. I, I mean, I still like to watch it about once a year just to remind me how great. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's funny because I, I don't know if I could ever, I I was so passionate about that. And and I always relate that when I'm thinking of fans now, like I hated Edmonton. It, it, and, and now I quite like the, I quite like, watching the Oilers because I, I can respect how good they are and how fun they are. And, and I've been to games in Edmonton and it's a great atmosphere, but man, did I hate them. I really did.
1: And what was 89 like? Cause, cause you know, we're going to go on to talk about it, but there's the iconic Theo Fleury celebration when he goes on his knees and what have you. And then 89 winning the cup and Lanny McDonald. Yeah. My, my final question on this, sorry guys, what, what, you're, you're in, a, it's, it's like Carter city winning the European cup. You're, you're in the town where Calgary or the city where Calgary wins the Stanley cup. What was that like?
4: honestly it's it's terrible to say I've had some great things happen in my life I have two wonderful kids a wonderful wife it's still probably top five days of my life (laughs) and I love like I remember we had uh I remember where I was I remember when I was watching it I didn't know what to do because I'm 14 I'm not drinking or anything but I just thought I gotta I gotta go I gotta get outside and I go downtown and wave a flag and and, uh, and my sister and her husband or her boyfriend at the time probably was probably with Steve and they were downtown probably cheering and drinking their faces off. And I, I went downtown and, and walked around and just was happy to be part of it. And um, I have the Lanny McDonald mustache for, for people that follow the NHL, Lanny McDonald had this huge red mustache. They were handing them out at train stations. <laughs> uh, I, I went to the Stanley Cup parade I, I made a sign that said McDonald for mayor, like Lanny McDonald for mayor. I got really close to the front. Um, I saw my favorite player, Thur and who I absolutely loved. Um, I was like one of those kids. I knew all the, like the thing with flames fans, they're so into their hockey. We, we always like my generation, we talk about the players. Like we knew them, like we don't call them by their names. We call them by their nickname. And, and I, I, I yelled up and I was like, Hey chopper. And Chopper was Al McInnes. He, he won the cons twice that year. And I just, I still, still to this day, I think how dumb that was. <laughs> <laughs> <Chopper>. <laughs> and he probably thought, who the hell is this kid calling me by we all We all knew all their nicknames. We just loved them. So, and obviously third and flurry, I got to play with years later. I'm sure we'll touch on that, but great experience. And, and that's why, like, that's why I appreciate being a fan. I can appreciate what people go through and I can appreciate when, You know, we win the challenge cup or we lose the challenge cup. The emotions that people feel, I I love it. I love being a hockey fan and it's the only sport I can try to like football. I can try to like baseball as much. Nothing. I, I, I will never like anything the way I like hockey. I really won't.
3: And Todd, is it true? Ever since you've been a GM, you've been looking for a player with a big red handlebar moustache, just so you can hand out uh, <laughs> hundred <laughs> moustaches.
4: Just waiting, for it. just waiting for it. Every good redhead I've signed, as you've noticed, <laughs> a zero of them. <laughs> well, the search goes
2: on.
0: I'm. Uh, I'll be a happy man it's when you spot. find him. It's a
2: spot for JD.
0: Yeah, you could
4: grow one. Look at that thing. You could grow it. Oh yeah, good one, Todd.
0: So, Todd, you know, you're growing up in this amazing sporting atmosphere, the Olympics, Calgary winning the Stanley Cup. How did your uh playing style form during this time? What what was it about defense that kind of drew you to that position? Were you always a defenseman? Like talk us through that process of becoming Todd Kelman, the hockey player.
4: I don't know. I I I was uh I know Scaldi said he was a goalie for his first year. I was a goalie <laughs> for the first game, and I hated it. Um, I was four years old. I played for the, the Bonavist, the Type B uh, Flyers. Back then, you played House League, so every team was named after an NHL team. I was on the Flyers, and I think I was four years old. And uh, so because I w- played goalie the first game, that's the number you got for the year. So my first year of hockey, I played out as a defenseman wearing number one. And I was so <laughs> mad. I still to this day pissed me off. It kept me in one the whole year. It was so embarrassing. Oh, so embarrassing. But, uh, but yeah, that's um, yeah. And uh, I I don't know. I don't remember ever playing Ford. I remember always playing defense. And my dad, my dad was probably the biggest influence. He coached me pretty much my whole life. And uh, and I mean, it's funny because when you grow up in Canada, like we we always talk, like me and Lord always talk about we're like there is no hockey player that made pro hockey at any level, whose dad wasn't a crazy hockey dad. Like, you know, like <laughs> nowadays, like I go to watch my kids play rugby and I try to be the calm dad. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the one running down the sidelines. And you look at the ones running down the sidelines and their kids are the best athletes <laughs> <Because> <laughs> dads are all over them. And like, I never thought my dad was overbearing at all. I loved it. I loved every second of it. And we fought, we yelled at each other. My dad used to like, after dinner, you know, like we we clean up the dishes, and then he'd he'd like pull pull away the the tablecloth, and he'd draw a rink on the on the on the table. And we had like chalk talks about like what I had to do. Um, and then when eventually, when when I when he stopped coaching me, I probably was like once it got got at a at a kind of like a top level, he obviously stopped coaching me. And and he he wanted to develop a way of communicating with me, without the coach really knowing, right? Like so he did, he wanted to be able to. like, <laughs> still be a, a hockey dad and communicate with me with what he thought I should be doing rather than maybe what the coach should. So he developed an intricate series of hand signals. <laughs> <laughs> that only, the, only the two of us knew. Right. And, and so my dad would stand in the corner, like he, he, my, my mom and maybe my brother, maybe my sister would be up watching from the stands and my dad would be in the corner with a couple of the other hockey dads. And my dad would be like, that would mean that would mean get your head up get two hands on the stick play a little tougher and get your feet moving and (laughs) so i i would tell my friends about this right and colin ward who i played with in belfast who is a very funny person when he met my dad he's like hey ross how you doing
3: (laughs) (laughs) well the the last The last story I heard like that was ended up with uh, Mike
4: Danton shooting his agent. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) It's funny because I think when you talk to like like you talk to any of my family, they think poor Todd. You know, like poor Todd. Dad must have been it must have been really hard. I loved it. Like I thought it was hilarious, and I loved it. I loved that someone like I loved having my dad coach me. I loved that he was involved. He used to. So you got to remember, I lived at this or I worked. Where we, where we lived I worked at this rink right like I was 12 or 13 but the, that's the rink that we played out of and Steve I mean me and Lord have been on that ice with Steve and his son Carter um because Steve lives literally like probably a 50 second walk from from the rink that I grew up at and um and my dad like like would would be pissed off as a coach he'd send me off the ice and send me home he'd be like go home get your shit off and go home and I'd be like go home and he was like, walk home. And he would make me walk home in the middle of winter. And I'd get home and my mom would be like, aren't you supposed to be at a game? And I'd be like, no, dad sent me home. And, and <laughs> it happened all the time. And he was like a hard, so my, my I, sh- I won't talk just about my dad, but he, in our basement, we have a water bottle. That's, that's like, it's like stuck to a plaque. And it's, and it's, um, it's like a, a plaque that the parents presented to him when we were, I think, seven years old, <laughs> because He threw the water bottle so many times at referees. (laughs) Bear in mind, bear in mind when you're when you're seven, you're being refereed by like 13-year-olds in Canada, right? (laughs) So there were games that I'm sure my brother was refing that my dad was screaming at the ref, like calling him out, possibly throwing a water bottle at him. But that, that stuff would all that stuff that would get coaches suspended nowadays in minor sports. My dad did it all, and I and we loved it. My and my friends will see my dad still, and they'll be like, "Hey, hey, Mister Kelman, hey, Coach Kelman," because they they loved it. They loved that he was so intense. So, we also won pretty much every game, which was good. So, so anyways, that's probably my biggest influence. He'll probably if he can figure out how to use uh, YouTube, he'll probably watch us.
0: We're gonna have a crash course. We'll work it out. So,
4: Tom, where was your junior?
0: Uh, career just before you go to college where, where were you playing like, at this time and and what kind of level we talking
4: so i played um so i i played midget triple a which is like the top level when you're 15 16 17 years old and um i played there for a year and then instead of playing my second year there i went and played in british columbia so i moved away from home to play junior in a town called vernon for the vernon lakers at the time they became the vernon vipers which is where Andrew Lord, Tyson Strachan, a few a few of the Devils over the years. I played. Um, but yeah, so uh, so I I played in Vernon, probably one of the funnest years of my life. Um, I, well, well, half a year of my life, I guess. I um, yeah, it was it was great. So I was seventeen. Um, it was my draft year. It was the year before I was going to go to university, and um, I loved it. Like Vernon is beautiful town. In British Columbia, I lived on I, li- I lived on this big acreage outside of town on the side of a mountain. Uh, we used to hitchhike to school like that's that's how old school Canadian was. You talk about hockey rings. we would hitchhike to school. We would just go down the road and thumb down a car, and they would drop you off at school. And then coming home from school, same thing. You'd, you'd get a you just thumb someone down, and no issues ever. No one locked the doors. Just great life, great great place to great place to play hockey. So.
1: That reminds me my kid's not home yet. Um, <laughs> so, so, Todd, you mentioned Al McInnes. So you, you, you know you hate it when I say this, but, you know, it's an age where maybe there's less size defensemen but better-skating, puck-moving defensemen like Al McInnes, like Paul Coffey, like, I guess, Brian Leach with the Rangers. Are you starting to be influenced by, by guys like them?
4: My, my favorite players growing up, my two favorite defensemen growing up, were uh, I loved Paul Coffey. Um, once he went to Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh actually was, was my favourite team uh, because of coffee. I didn't like him when he was at the Oilers. Um, and Scott Stevens is my all-time favourite player. Um, I actually have, if you look, so you won't be able to tell, but there's, so I've got my favourite picture is the one of us, Franny, when we won the Challenge Cup, right? You see it? I'm in the, I'm in the office, by the way. And then next to it is when, uh, when they retired my jersey in Belfast I don't know how they got it but they got a message from scott stevens for me and uh and a picture of him getting his jersey retired and he like wrote like you know it's always nice getting your, your jersey retired your friend scott stevens and i'm not i'm not an i'm not a i'm not a memorabilia fan or an, or, a, or a hound for autographs but yeah I, I love that one i got a little giddy over that one so scott stevens is yeah he's my favorite and and you want to know how i got him to be my favorite i waited out line for autographs i was waiting to meet brett hall right So Brett Hall was playing for uh, St. Louis and I waited and waited after an exhibition game in Calgary because you used to basically go to the flames games and then you'd wait outside for players like for two hours, if you had to. And I was waiting for Brett Hall and and he kind of, he came out and he blew me off and uh, kind of a dick. And, uh, (laughs) and and Scott Stevens was like, Hey man, don't worry about it. And he signed my, he signed my, uh, my hat and stuff. And, so that right there, he was, he was my favorite, and then, and then, yeah, then I kind of followed him. Went to New Jersey. New Jersey became my favorite team. So uh, I loved the Devils growing up. I loved the Flames always, but I always, I, I had years of loving Pittsburgh, and then I loved the Devils for a number of years too. So,
0: so, George, you mentioned the, um you'd already kind of made your mind up during this time at Vernon that college was going to be your next stop. Uh, was it always? A, a big plan of yours to, to get that education foundation along with hockey was it uh, all about
4: options
0: for you yeah. at this
4: time? Yeah, like when I went to Vernon, I, I could have gone to like the WHL and uh, most of my friends went to the WHL, which is like Canadian Junior, and and uh, I think everyone I knew at the time was going to the WHL. And I I chose to go to Vernon just because I wa- I wanted the education. Also, like for I I was dra- I was drafted into the into the, the WHL, the Western Hockey League to the Prince Albert Raiders, which for me wasn't an ideal situ- situation. <laughs> I didn't, I'd never been to, to that part of Saskatchewan before. And, and I just, I went and I went to main camp and, and um, you know, like the, back then I, don't, I I'm assuming the rule is still the same. If you play one game, you lose your college eligibility. You're, you, so you can't go to the NCAA. If you play one regular season game, so they're really pushing to play, to, to play a game. Cause then once, once that you play a game, when you're like 15 or 16 years old, that's it, you can't go to college anymore. And I think that's changed now. Maybe, maybe you can play like five or something, but yeah, they really pushed for it. And I, I kept saying, no, I, you know, I, I would have stayed if I'd been guaranteed that I'd be there for the year, but um, I think it's, I, it has to have changed because it used to be kind of a sneaky trick. If they got you to play a couple of games, you're, you're, you're set, you know, then you can go back and come back a couple of years later. But, I never played in Prince Albert, I didn't like it. And, and, um, and so that's why I went to Vernon originally, but I, I always had this idea of going to university. I didn't think I'd be able to probably afford university if I didn't, um, if I didn't um, get a scholarship. And, and I had a couple couple buddies of my brother who, uh, who went to university and, and just, they said, it's just like, it's life-changing. It's, it, you, there, there's nothing better. There's no better experience than going away to university. So I'm, I'm really happy with the choice. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun um but I was gonna I was gonna tell you guys but I told John about this the other day I think I don't know um about the time in Vernon so so when I was in Vernon I was uh I actually broke my back I was one of those kids that got like injured and I got injured playing hockey and I was I my season was done it was uh it was like I was my mom's birthday it was like February 5th so uh and uh yeah I broke my back and and got kind of blindside hit and I was at this rink in Chilliwack which where I think I think lordo's parents live in chilliwack and and the boards it was an old rink and the boards were cemented into the ground so the boards and the glass like the glass came out like this and instead of the glass being on the boards about that much of a of a lip the lip was like a foot and i got blindsided after i made a pass and my spine kind of bounced down and i broke i broke three vertebrae and luckily thank god my 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 um my sister's mother-in-law who was like the head of trauma nurse in Vancouver was at the game watching the game first game she ever came to mind and she jumped the glass and kind of like put me in the neck collar and got me to the hospital and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, so yeah, I was in, I was in like a steel brace for six months and um, yeah, and I I was like, had the whole story of like, they didn't know if I'd ever play hockey again or any of that stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's, that was my experience in Vernon. (laughs) And
3: and that was, that the draft year as
4: well that happened? Yeah. So, so yeah, so I, so I was, um, yeah, it was my draft year and, 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 you know, like you're visiting schools, you're planning to visit schools to go, go away to play, to kind of pick the school you want to go to for university. And, um, yeah, I, I ended up picking Bowling Green cause they're the only school that talked to me before and after the injury. So like, there was a few schools that kind of lost your phone number after the injury happened. Right. And and right. To, in fairness, I probably should have gone back and played junior again because I missed half a year. Um, but But like, I I didn't know any better. I I honestly thought that everyone went to school when they're 18. I just, I just assumed that you went to school university when you're 18. But, but then I get there and you realize like, there's a lot of guys that play junior till they're 20, 21, and then go to university. And, and it's a, you know, it's, it's a very different, different being 21 in university and being 18, you know, especially you can drink in the US if you're 21. And of course, I didn't touch a drop for those first years of university.
5: <laughs>
4: uh, but I, but I don't have any regrets as far as going to Bowling Green. It was it was probably the funnest four years of my life. I absolutely loved it, and we had a great group of guys, and and so much fun. And obviously, got my degree and everything. So,
3: going back to your draft, did you did you go to the draft, or was this no? no I, was, I was
4: literally like, I just I just got out of the the brace, the collar. Oh like, right, yeah. Before that, yeah. So um no I didn't go to the draft I was kind of surprised I got drafted after that to be honest with you because you, your stock kind of sinks down when that happened
5: yeah.
4: yeah. um uh, no, I, I didn't go to the draft I didn't I didn't I, I always think like if you're going in the first round or two first two rounds but like I went in the sixth round that's a long wait that's like seven hour wait you know so mm-hmm. um, so was, I, was that
3: your uh, was that your projection around at the sixth round or
4: no I, I think would, it was, you, would I, you have I, gone higher
3: if, if higher. you didn't have the injury
4: yeah, I think I was, I, I don't know, I can't even remember how, how high it was, but I was having a really good year in Vernon. Um,
3: let's say, let's say first or second round,
4: yeah? <laughs> like top right
3: For argument's sake,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> Someone I, got I, a good I, pick I in the seventh round then.
4: No, no, I, I certainly wouldn't have been like a, a, an NHL player, but I but I probably would have got drafted higher if if, it, if I hadn't been injured. But like, that's not an excuse. It's just kind of like the way shit, shit happens, you know? But, mm-hmm. but yeah, like it, it was, I mean, it was, it was funny because my kind of one of my, my D partner from the year before, who was, uh, he was a year older than me, but he went to, he went to the WHL and we were sort of rivals, like friend friendly rivals, but we were like, kind of like the two top defensemen on our team the year before I went 141 and he went 142 and he said, and he, and he went to the draft and he said,
5: <laughs>
4: the only thing worse than waiting for six rounds is hearing your name right before. <laughs> used to walk. <laughs>
1: exactly. exactly. What did you uh,
4: major in? What did I major in? I actually yeah. away from in- hockey. What what was the study side like? I majored in telecommunications, which is the, a fancy title for broadcasting. I have a broadcasting degree. Really? Yeah. So that's that's what I took. I actually, it, it's actually funny. Do you know, so? Do you know what I started with. I started with drama, and <laughs> okay. And, uh, my teammates basically said you can't be in drama and be on the hockey team <laughs> so um so i started drama I, I was gonna go business which is probably what i should have done and it's funny because bowling green has like a really really good sports management department right and it was like the first year of sports management and and i remember like one of the guys going oh if you if you like sports and you're like and you're interested in biz you should you should go to the, the school of sports management. And I was like, Sport management? <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> what a joke. Like what is that? What am I gonna do? Run a hockey team? Like where, <laughs> how many jobs are in sports management? And like you, you don't know, right? Like how, how would you know? Whereas like,
1: drama,
4: you know, that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen how many movies they're on? Yeah, Dallas
1: <laughs> is on
0: every day.
4: <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, so I, so I did a broadcasting degree and I, and I had like, you know, we did radio shows and we did TV shows in college and yeah, it, it was good. It was, it was fun. It's, it's weird because there's, if you're in college in the US and you, you literally can take anything, anything. Like it's not, it's not downplaying it, but like, I mean, cause this is what I always say about America. America has some of the greatest educational institutions in the world. It also has some of the worst. Say, i would say bowling green falls right in the middle you know like it's and and it's funny because i had a chance to go to a school called brown right yeah and, and how would i know never going to university that brown was any good like i didn't know and and i was too kind of proud to ask anyone right i should have probably said like hey, dad is brown any good like, I, I don't know. like these brown guys are all over me and and i remember i got the application for brown and i was like I looked at it and it said like, the maximum we can give you is a three-quarter scholarship. Like, cause like it's Ivy league and the Ivy league schools at the time, I don't know if it's still like this, but they could only give you three-quarter scholarship. And I was like, I was like, well, that's kind of insulting. Like I, I want a full ride. Like, that's the thing, like you're a student athlete, you want a full ride, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, so yeah, so I turned on Brown and went to bowling, (laughs) Uh, another solid, solid, (laughs) You know i've taken a lot of great advice over the years and Most of them out my college. Career. but um yeah i told shauna my wife about that uh like years later i was like she's like did you ever look at other schools i was like well i was gonna go to brown but like and she's like what <laughs> 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 who knows i probably would have flunked out who knows but um but i always did pretty good in school and stuff like i i i did good in school in high school and stuff and when i was in vernon the m- most of my team were older than me like they were like 1920 and i was 17 right so they were all out of school, and and I was like, I'm and, and I'm I'm not joking around. I was like a complete straight shooter because I just thought I have to make sure I can't miss school. I have to make sure I graduate. I have to make sure I get good grades. And then and then when I got injured and broke my back, the the, the school board hired me a tutor. Like they they just said we're getting you a tutor so you can do all your classes from bed. So basically, I was like lied up in bed, and this guy. I, I wish I could, I wish I could somehow meet up with this guy because he would come and he'd be like, all right, like, how's your math? And we do a bit of math. And then he's like, he'd be, he'd be like, okay, we got to read To Kill a Mockingbird or we can watch To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be like, what do you want to do? Like, Let's watch it. So we'd watch To Kill a Mockingbird and then discuss it. And then like, and. We, he, he became like, he was, he wasn't like a young guy. He's probably like, probably like 25. Right. And I'm 17. I think this to this day, I think this guy is the greatest guy in the world. Cause like, <laughs> BC education system. There's probably someone's going to get fired in the BC education system that, that watches this. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was hilarious. And, and I remember telling my parents, cause my parents were like, we got to move you home to Calgary. Yeah. We can look after you, you can get a tutor here. You can graduate from here. We'll look after you. And I was like, no, 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 I'm <laughs> just fine <laughs> uh, with, my t- with my tutor, my buddy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's how I got. So I, I think I went back to school maybe in June. Like I missed, I missed like four months, five months of school. And I, and I went back at the end. I graduated and, and did fine. So it's not a rip on the the, bed, the education system in Canada. It's it's pretty good.
2: Can you remember no. his name?
4: Oh, no. Uh, no. I, even, I, I can remember how good To Kill a Mockingbird was, though. Right? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, but
3: I think that guy's job is safe anyway because BC is one of the areas that the pod hasn't quite reached out yet to. We got a bit of a lack of coverage there, but we got a, mar- a marketing campaign for,
4: for BC
0: going out soon. So, yeah,
4: exactly.
0: I just thought that you haven't put together that was your love of drama right there. That second he said, "Should we watch?" We could Mockingbird <laughs> that's where it all ignited.
4: How was your nickname killer and not Hamlet? <laughs> 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 I don't know. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, some good years then. Then I went to Bowling Green, four years um, and just had a blast. Just, just, you know, great experience hockey wise. Um, played with some incredible players. Uh, you know, my best friend from university. my My roommate for four years ended up going to the NHL and it kind of felt like Kind of felt like we all made the NHL when he made the NHL because we were so happy for him and um, uh, his name's Mike Johnson. He's a broadcaster now, mm-hmm. um, but but yeah, just to, just for the funnest years and, and and guys that play junior in Canada, they can never understand how fun U.S. college is because I'm not saying it's like the movies necessarily. It's not like I don't know what the movies would be, and it's it's not like uh, Van Wilder or anything, but it's pretty damn close <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, and it just. It, it's just the whole college lifestyle was fun and it was it was great being a student athlete and um, and they treat you really well and and uh, and yeah it was, it was it was a fantastic experience I stayed there for two summers and uh, and graduated and, and yeah loved it loved every second of it
0: what was the biggest lesson that you took hockey wise from your time in college or what, what did it shape for you just before going pro
4: I think like I mean it's it's not, Always brace like, for a
1: hit. What's that? Always brace for a hit. <laughs> yeah,
4: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Keep your head up when you're coming out of the corner. Um, <laughs> no, it was. It, it. You know what it was? It was learning to play with nerve. With nerves, because like, I, To this day, I don't think I'll ever play in bigger in front of bigger crowds, or well, I don't play anymore. But I never played in front of bigger crowds than in college, and like, and you know, like. You're, you're, in a, you're in a rink and there's 14,000 people and there's a marching band playing a song, a huge song every time you get scored. I always tell the story. We were, we were playing Michigan one time and this is Michigan when they were the best team in the country and, um, and we were getting crushed. Like, I, I, like we played Michigan when they were the best team in the country for four years and they won the national championship and played in the final game one year. But like they were unbelievable. Some NHL superstars on that team. And we beat them – so you think we play every team four times a year and you play there for four years. We played them 16 times. We beat them once. But um, this is not one of those stories when we beat them. We were, we were playing in Michigan, and it was about 7-1 maybe, 7-2 maybe. And and they scored again. And then you kind of heard this hum like, hmm, 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 hmm. And everyone's like, what, what, what's the crowd saying? And then they scored again, and it got a little louder like, mm, mm and then i turned to one of the guys i'm like what are they saying they're like they're saying pizza and i'm like why and they're like if they score 10 goals every student gets a slice of pizza and so then our so then our goal, so then our goal becomes please don't get scored on because they're gonna go ape shit when they when they score and they scored and it was something I I think we were as excited as the, you know, 9,000 Michigan students at the game, but um, yeah, college hockey is something special, man. It's Mm -hmm. unbelievable. And so I'm, I'm excited because Steve King's son Carter is just embarking on his college career. He's going to, he's going to one of the best, one of the best schools, one of the best programs in the country in Denver university. And because of COVID he actually got to go, go down half a year early. So he's down there now he's played, I don't know, three or four games for them, but I'm excited for him because it's such a, such an amazing experience. So.
0: So you finish your college career, you're draftee. Most people are probably going to think this guy's going to slug it out in the minors and you end up in Bracknell <laughs> It's such a, when you look at it on paper,
4: it seems like a weird decision. When did you get the call? Why did you make the decision? So two funny stories about this. So, so basically like back then they, they had changed the rule. Like it used to be NHL camps would have 80 people at them. Right. So if you're a draft pick, you're finishing school, you're probably going to go to, you can't go to camp until you graduate or until you finish school. Right. So, um, so you kind of always thought like, Oh, I'll get invited to camp. And then, you know, like, I don't know, probably like, I, I I'm not one of those people that thinks like had this glorious idea that, Oh, I got kind of got screwed and I would have made it like, I could see, you can see the depth chart. You're like, okay, I'm not even close to making St. Louis. I'm not going to make their American league team because they've got, you know, four guys under contract. They've probably got two guys coming down, no chance. And so you think I'm going to go down, I'm going to be in the East coast league, like for, for sure. Right. And I just had no desire to really play in the East coast league. And um, so, so yeah, so I, I, I thought like, I don't know, maybe something will come up. Right. And, and like my buddy, Mike's getting calls from the, he's getting calls from Bobby Yore and all these agents <laughs> and, and, and uh, we're not getting the same calls, but, um, but, but I get a call from, uh, from the, the team just up the road, Toledo. Right. And, and I think, oh, this is, this is great. And they're like, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. Cause I'm like, well, it's, it's right up the road. Maybe I could play my girlfriend at the time was still going to Bowling Green. So I thought, no, maybe I'll stay here and play a year in Toledo um and they said yeah great like why don't you send why don't you send some tapes up to us and and we'll and we'll have a we'll have a listen and, and see how it goes and i'm like okay and i get off the phone and i'm like yeah so they want me to send some tapes and I'm like but i'm sure they said we'll have a listen like wh- wh- why why do they say we'll have a listen <laughs> i'm sure he meant though i'm sure i'm sure they meant we'll have a like why do you say listen <laughs> anyway so so I, I try to get a couple tapes together because like it's, it's, it's 1997. It's not like we have game tapes lying around. It's not like now we're, oh, go on this, you know, little YouTube and watch my highlights or something, right? So I, I, I see if I can get from one of the student, like, guys that do the stats. I get a couple games that I thought I played well, and I send them up there. Nothing, no, no calls. And then I get another call from this guy, and he's like, yeah, we never got those tapes. I'm like, oh, I, I sent you the tapes. He's like, no. And it turns out they were interested because I had a sports, because like, I was taking broadcasting. They wanted me to be the, to be the color guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they weren't even interested in me playing hockey for them. I was getting and I was so mad. I was so insulted. Like, I'm like, screw this. So, so I went home to Canada and, uh, and I, just, I just got, a, I just got it. Like I graduated. I went and got a summer job and I, um, and my summer job was working at this train, this, this training facility. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen them, friend. They have these skating treadmills, right? They're like artificial ice
5: yeah. and at the
4: time. They were just coming out and I actually was one of the first guys that got trained on it and, and got like, got like licensed to be one of the trainers. And it was an unbelievable job. It was so fun. So I got to train all the NHL players and NHL prospects on these machines. Right. And part of that was I got to work out with the, with the, all these guys and we were working out this facility and that's where my job was. And at the same time, team Canada was running this like training camp. Right. And so a lot of guys that grad that played college hockey or junior, they got invited to this team Canada camp and it just happened to be at the same place that I was working at. So, so, and I think a lot of people thought like, Oh, maybe they kept seeing me around the rink and I I think they thought that I was actually at the camp, but I wasn't, I was working at the fitness facility like attached to the rink. But a few of my buddies were there and my coach from college was there. My assistant coach from college, um, this great guy who I still keep in touch with, he was there. And, um, and there's a few coaches from around the league, from different leagues, American leagues, the NHL leagues, scouts are there. And, and um, the coach from Bracknell there. And, and you know, a really good guy who I quite like playing for, you might remember the name, Jim Fjordchuk, Danny yeah, yeah, yeah. and Jay, you yep. remember the name? Yeah. So Jim Fjorchuk is there. And, And my assistant coach from college tells a story like, yeah, like, you know, like we're every night, you know, you go for beers after, after, you know, with the other coaches and you get chatting and people are talking and, and I, I'd been talking to my coach earlier in the day. And then, and then this guy, this guy, like uh, they're all out for beers or something. And someone said like, Oh, you know, who were you talking to earlier? And he's like, Oh, Todd Kelman. He's, He's not at the camp. He's actually working at the fitness facility. Good kid. Really good. You know, good kid for us. Great. Four years for us worked really hard um yeah and he kind of is like does anyone need a defenseman and Jim Fiorechuk's like yes <laughs> and and he said it was kind of like maybe Jim was saying it to fit in because like he was like the one coach from England when there was all these guys from the American League and the East Coast League and the NHL and that's how I got to brag <laughs> no scouting no video not literally nothing <laughs> nothing and uh that's that's how I turned pro, and so I oh. generally, as I said to my parents, like I'm going to go across to to England. I'm going to play for one year, see how this is, and then uh, <laughs> and then call then then get a job, come back home, get a job, and you know I just want one year to myself to kind of travel around Europe, have some fun with my friends, and um, yeah, and one year turned into now, you know, so yeah. that's literally them.
3: Maybe Jim heard that if you didn't turn out as a D man, you could always uh, do the commentary on the uh, Bees games.
4: Yeah. It was a, a no brainer for him. <laughs> Price one, yeah. But those years in Bracknell, I mean, JD, you probably got a question about Bracknell. I know. Well, I,
1: mean, I, I got one because you and I were talking the other day about something different. I was trying to sell you something, I think. Um, and, and you just graced over this like it was like a normal just something you dropped in. And I said, Oh yeah, you coming on the podcast. Talk. Well, we'll, we'll probably, you know, we'll skip away from the devil stuff and we'll ask you more about Bracknell. And you said a couple of things like, you know, playing for whistle and playing for future. And then he just went, yeah, I lived in a haunted house and then just moved on <laughs> from the conversation. <laughs> uh, is,
4: is that something you just drop in? So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued about living in the haunted house. Yeah. So, so anyone that's been to Bracknell, there's, there's a, there's this old mansion. And so uh, uh, let me describe to you. I arrive at Heathrow airport and, uh, and Dave Whistle's there to pick me up, right? Dave Whistle looks, I don't know, 48 at the time. We'll <laughs> and um, and Whis, who, I mean, obviously we never brought him here, so we probably have a sour relationship. But Whis, I love that guy. I love that guy. As a teammate, so I, play, that's how old I am. I played with Dave Whistle, right? So Whis picks me up, takes me to Bracknell. We go to the, the rink. Which I assume is the practice rink, right? Like, I, there's rainbows on the wall. The dressing rooms are ready. We're getting dressed in a we're getting dressed in a log cabin that's attached to a ski hill. And I'm like, I was like, so, so, where's the where's the regular rink? Like, this practice rink kind of sucks. Like, where's the regular rink? No, this is this is your rink. This is pro hockey. And I'm like, oh my god. And I'm thinking, I just came from Bowling Green, where our we had stalls that were made of oak. We had our own ping pong area. We had a, a lounge with TVs. We had our own gym. You don't, you don't have better facilities than in college. And, um, and I was like, wow, this sucks. Like, this is terrible, right? And, and um, but I loved it. Like, it was so fun. But so anyway, so, so we, we practice it. So we get there the first day. Uh, we don't go on the ice. We get, we get keys to a car. The car, me and my roommate, Brian Greer, uh, who's a goalie, we that get one, the keys yeah. to the car. We drive the car. It's a Toyota, which is owned by John Nike. They, they own the Toyota dealership too we get that car maybe 120 yards up the road towards our hill or towards our house, right? They're like, your house is 500 yards up the road. Just drive up that road. We get 120 yards up there. It runs out of gas, right? It's, <laughs> it's out of gas. So we walk back to, we walk back to this uh, the, the dealership. They give us another car that gets 10 yards past that car. <laughs> <laughs> so then so we go back to the dealership. They give us a, like they get us a can of gas of petrol we put it in the first car and that is our car for the year no one even looks at it like no one says like it might need repairs that's our car for the year and and we share it and we so we get to our house and clearly someone had had a party at the year-end party like imagine the year-end party with a bunch of single guys and they lock the door on april 5th and They open the door on August 19th and I'm not the one closing the door, but I'm certainly the one opening the door six months later or whatever. Right. And me and my roommate opened the door and I shit you not, we opened the door and it's like a movie, a pile of beer cans come pouring out the front door and they told us the Bracknell management, complete liars. They told us, Oh, yeah, the, it was professionally cleaned earlier today. And I'm like, professionally cleaned, right? So we are walking around the house and like, we don't even want to sit down. It's disgusting, <laughs> right? Beds are disgusting, couches gross, TVs slammed over. Like, the place is destroyed. It looks like there have been squatters there the whole summer. Uh, we go to open the, uh, the, the washing machine, and clearly, like, the drain pipe has been gathering maggots and 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 bugs for four months we open it up it's black water it pours out black water pours out and covers the kitchen destroys the floor it's it's maggots and bugs it's disgusting so we go back and we're like we're like we can't live there it's a disaster and they're like oh is it really like we had a professional clean i'm like there's no way that was that wasn't even clean not even (laughs) That that wasn't cleaned by me like that person like cleaner in the world has not cleaned that place. And they're like, no, no, we did. I'm like, well, there's no way you did. Right. So we take this lady up there and she, we show it to her. She's like, Oh my goodness, this is embarrassing. Okay. um, And, and he owns a hotel. He owns a five-star hotel right there. And we're like, we'll stay in the Copped beach. They're like, no, you guys can't stay in the Copped beach. So, so we're, we're literally, we're at practice and we're asking the guys like, what should we do? And some of the guys are like, go home. This is bullshit. They can't treat it like that. I'm like, no, I don't want to go home. I got, this is my only job. Right. And, and uh, so the trainer, a guy named Brian Miller, he invites us to stay at his house. So we think we're going to stay there for like three or four days. We end up staying at his house for like a month, maybe six weeks. Right. And finally we're like, this is getting ridiculous. So, so we go to the house and we're like, you know what, we're not going to play tonight until they send the general manager up to the house to, to see how bad it is. So it's like two, three o'clock, the game's at six gets to be like four, everyone's calling the house number and they're like you guys gotta come like what are you doing we're like nope send martin up here send him up here he's got to see this place well he said he's not coming he'll come tomorrow nope we're not we're not going anywhere he's got to come tonight so so brian greer had this idea i don't know what this is ridiculous but it's actually really funny so we always had these huge horses that used to break down the fence behind our this house and they would come and they would literally like stick their head like right at the windows so greerzy says what if when, when they come up here, we lure a horse into the house? And, and I'm like, what? And he goes, oh, think, about it. think of how funny it would be if when they come in, they come in, they're like, no, oh, it's not that bad. And then a horse trots by, right? And we're like, there's a fucking horse, oh, sorry, there's a, there's a horse. In the living room. And so, so, so Grizzly gets a handful of apples and he gets this horse halfway into the house, right? It gets caught. It's app it gets caught. It gets caught. And you know, like the, the porches, it's like door, slight bend, door. So it gets caught in the crashing around. It's crashing around and it gets stuck in the door. And we're like, oh my God, this door is going to smash apart, right? We've got a horse. And for us, the way when this is the, the legit version, when we told the story to the guys, we told them it was a Clive's, deal. like the hugest horse ever, right? But but anyways, we, we try to get the horse in the living room. We can't get the horse in there. So we, we, we leave it out and the horse. But when they pull up, there are two horses on the front lawn eating the grass and there's maggots on the kitchen floor. The place is disgusting. And they, they finally agree. They're like, OK, we'll give you a budget. They don't they don't say we'll fix it up for you we'll give you a budget to fix it up right and brian greer who's a really funny guy we went and played the game and then the guys after the game were like we're having beers and they're like what did they say and they said i said they said they give us a budget like they give us enough money to get our own kitchen so we actually had to get builders in to fix it and Greerzy goes they're gonna rue the day they gave us a budget to to fix that up (laughs) and they did so we we put silver carpet throughout the whole thing we built a, a dance room we bought a disco ball we found, we found an old couch that looked like a 1970s porn couch like one of those white white uh, curved couches so we had a, a room dedicated to dancing in our house there's only like six bedrooms six bedrooms two of us had bedrooms and then the, the rest of us was huge we put a, a cheap kitchen in and ever so my room was uh, dragon's blood red it's like a pinky red color that was dragon's blood red his was bright blue Another room was black on the walls and, and we all silver carpet throughout the whole thing. It was gross, but it was insanely fun. And so what we did is we noticed that Bracknell didn't really have like a lot of bars, right? Like they had a couple of pubs, but back then pubs closed at like 11. And so we would, we would run after hours after every game. Like, and I don't mean like once a month, like, I mean, every Sunday after every home game, we were the after hours bar to the point where we had a guy work the door <laughs> and take money so, that pay for all the and so like on the day of a game and I can I just imagine if Andrew Lord was my coach I mean, <laughs> but we um on the day of the game me and Gusey used to go get garbage garbage bags full of uh snow and put them in our bathtub and put the beer on ice so that the guys knew like that was our job that was we should have been the captains our whole job with that team was besides playing hockey was we have to make sure that this team is entertained after the game and I mean we had parties that had three 400 people at them and we were on a dead end street with no neighbors bar the the horses right the, who didn't come home uh, didn't come to the parties but um yeah we had some insane parties but the place was haunted 100 percent. it was haunted we were told everywhere we went in town we'd go to get like a tv license they'd be like what's your address so we'd be like sandley farm and they're like you know it's haunted and we'd be like you hear it once <laughs> and you're like oh that's funny then you hear it like literally 30 times and you're freaking out so we never stayed by ourselves in that house like it's if he, if he met a girl and was staying at her house, I, I couldn't stay there. I would either sleep, like leave all the lights on and stay up all night or wait till he got home. Or like, we'd be like, I'd be like, you can't, you can't stay there. You have to come home. You, you generally cannot stay there. One of us has to be here. And, and everyone that ever stayed there, we never told them it was haunted, but we had guys stay with us and uh, a tough guy. There was a guy named Norm Desane who lasted about three weeks with our team. He had to sleep on our couch for a week. We didn't tell him it was haunted. He stayed there one night, and he was just like, "Something's wrong with that house. That place is that place is haunted." Everyone I know that stayed there, it was horrible. But, but yeah, I bet I bet the silver carpet and the disco ball are still there. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. and when we won the league, there, my God, that part, that family party when we won the league, it was insane, absolutely insane. That,
1: to, I, I wanted to ask you about that season because that season probably doesn't get talked about because in the Super League you know, the Devils won it and the Devils were at the time expected to win it. The Steelers won it. The Storm won it and they were all expected to win it. The Bees weren't expected to win it and and that, that just must have been an incredible
4: season. One of my favorites uh, as a player, we should never have won it. Like, we're, like, we look back and we think, yeah, we were the best team, but like, man, that, it's insane that the Bracknell Bees won won a, a league championship in the Super League when you're going up against, you know, some of the budgets of Manchester and and uh, Sheffield and stuff like the coach of Manchester wouldn't come to games in Bracknell because they said we didn't belong in the same league as the Manchester Storm. Because he, he literally he would literally send his assistant coach, that Kurt Klein endorse or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just wouldn't come. He just literally wouldn't come to the games. And uh yeah, it was uh, I mean I still think it's one of the craziest things that we won that we won the league with that team. And and it was I honestly think it's cause we are so close. Like we and and honestly, like we had we had a handful of married guys. We had a, a mostly single guys and we were so tight, such like you, one guy would go to a movie, 15 guys would go to the movie. And those parties at San Lee is as, as ridiculous. They sound like everyone came, everyone's wife came. We, we, every Sunday night, everyone just knew, like we went to new year's. That, that was the millennium. The, the single guys all went to London and we just gave the married guys our keys and, and said, you, you have your, you have your, you have your, your, uh, millennium new year's party at our house. And then we got home at 3 in the morning and joined in. And, like, like it was just – it was the tightest group I've ever had. Just great guys. Guys like Denny Chassé, PC Druin, Colin Ward. Fantastic guys. Absolutely. It was a good
2: team. And it was a hard ring to play in as well because I remember officiating that because everyone was over the top and down. And it was – it really was –
4: Plus the, I rain- love doing games. the rainbows yeah. were pretty distracting hubs, right? Like the rainbows were intimidating oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all over the walls.
2: <laughs> Easy to lose concentration in the blue yeah. lines.
4: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, how much of that uh, success, sorry, do you attribute to Dave Whistle and how he, he did change around that organization when he became coach?
4: I think the best way to describe that is whistle. I, I don't know why. I I can't describe why I've never had it with another coach. I would have ran through a wall with no facial helmet protecting on for Dave whistle. I can't, describe. I don't know what it is. That guy makes you want to play hard for him and systems wise. I wouldn't say we're the best. Uh, He was a great recruiter because it's hard not to love that guy. It it really, it it really, it's, it's one of the most, it's one of the heartbreaking things in this job that, that, I you know like if, if not to get serious but when we when when we took over the Devils, I wish Wiss hadn't been the coach because it was a hard thing to tell the guy that coached me for six years of my career, or five years and played with me for a year. Like I was good buddies with Wiss, like and and but like you, you when you tell someone that he's not going to coach your hockey team, you're no longer really buddies, you know. But um, I love that guy, and uh, he, he and that's why he had success. Like Franny, did you play for Wiss or yeah,
5: you know, like, yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: Systems-wise, like I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad coach in systems-wise, but I'm saying I played for coaches with better systems. I played for coaches with more organization. I don't know if I played for a coach that was a better recruiter or, or um, players wanted to go through a wall for him. Like we those the, we took the the core of the team from Bracknell. We moved the basically eight of us or whatever went to Belfast, and and that's why we won in Belfast two years later and three years later is because that that mentality of wanting to go through a wall for Wiss is is the guys that came in that kind of bought into that were the ones that stuck around guys like Matzos, you know, like a guy like that, that just instantly loved Wiss. And it was like, I, I couldn't understand why you guys all talk about him. Like he's a God, but like, I just love him, you know? And, and yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he's a, he's a great guy and that, that's why he had success. That's why he was. And I think it just got, it, it just probably the game passed him, passed him by a bit because he's, you know, guys come in that are, you know, more detailed and more video oriented and stuff. And, and Wiss was like a gut feel kind of guy. Like he, he coached on, on gut and intuition and, you know, screaming at refs and scre- and getting the most out of the players. And, and I'm old school. So I like that. You know, like I used to say to us, like, if you need to yell at someone in the locker room, feel free. Cause he wasn't, he doesn't no, no, no one loves confrontation. No one, no coach loves having to yell at a guy, but I was like, you can yell at me. Like if you need to call someone out and bitch or something like that, you can yell at me, but. He's one. He's one of those that if
3: he yelled, you would genuinely feel bad with you because you know, like you say, he's such a good guy to play for. Um, I I think one of his big strengths was letting people actually play, you know, to to their strengths, and he he had that trust in them that you know they could go out. So he wasn't overly prescriptive, and uh, yeah, he was a lot of fun to play for. And yeah. I, I, I used to love him yelling at the refs too, especially when he had his false teeth and they used to come flying out and, and then you're just absolutely doing everything you can not to burst out laughing on the bench. <laughs> you
4: Nobody know you know did really well. It's probably like if you read a lot of leadership books and stuff like that, and I know, I know he didn't do it because he was like doing it from training or from reading up on it. He just had this way that he, he included everyone. He's a, he's a great listener. Like he he listens to you very well and he's, and and whether it's fake, but he takes an interest in everyone. So like, if you're in a room and say your wife's there and she's never been to a a team event or anything, whistle spend half an hour talking to her and make her laugh. And you'll look over and all of a sudden they're drinking buddies. And like, he is such a good people person. Like I always thought that if he, if he was, he'd be a hell of a sales guy, you know, like just to, just to come and all there's wist tell a few stories, talk a few, you know, have a few laughs. He just, you just love him and and, uh, and he was really good at that. And, and, and you know, when he got better in, in, in Belfast and, you know, like you, he, him and his wife would have you and one other couple over for dinner, nothing crazy. Just like, just no reason, not because he thinks you need it or you just, every year you kind of rotate through the team and throughout the year, He just, and it could be, you might've just lost a big game. You might've just won a big game. And, and he's, he's like, no, we're dinners on Tuesday. You guys, you know, like you and the roughs are coming over. Okay. And you just did, right? And and it, it, the guys had enough respect for him that it was never like you never you know thought like oh he's my buddy and he's not my coach. But um, yeah, it was he's 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 he was good for this game. He really was. Oh, no, um, another one, um, Sorry, go
3: on, Fran. I was going to say another one of your teammates on on that Bracknell team was uh, Mark Bernard, um, <laughs> who's now with uh, Chicago. I still did, talk
4: to still, still yeah. him once every two weeks. So.
3: Yeah. What a career he's made for himself. Did you see that in him when, when he was a teammate? Um, I know we, we sort of all joke about when he was in uh, Basingstoke and he'd be sort of doing the Zamboni before game to be <laughs> coaching and then he'd be the goalie. Um, you know, obviously a grafter, but did you see something in him that that was going to, that you knew he was going to go far in the
4: game? I, the one thing I would say is Bernie was great. Like back before, like it sounds ridiculous back before the internet was big and people had self cell- or mobile phones bernie was great at networking like like he stayed in touch with everyone in hockey like he we'd be on a road trip and then and like we'd have be at a hotel and i'm like oh, who are you who are you getting on the payphone with and he'd be like oh i'm calling john brophy my old coach from hampton roads just to catch up and, and i'm like god that's like that's weird but like it's so smart because like when he gets a job what does he call he calls like one of his buddies that he played with five years ago the guy hires him then that guy immediately like either moves to a different organization his first job he went from being like assistant general manager the president left he's the president like two weeks later he's the president of norfolk right in, in the american <laughs> Hockey League. like out of nowhere and and he's done a tremendous job and he is a grafter and that's what i love about Bernie. but like people don't know this when we played in bracknell every sunday night Bernie drove to London and worked an overnight security guard for like 10 hours really? oh, every wow. Sunday night. Wow. And we wow. think like you cheap mother. <laughs> 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 Cause we're like, he's our starting goal. He's probably our highest paid guy. But like Bernie was always like, you got to remember the Canadian dollar at the time was like 2.5. Right. So he'd get, I don't know, maybe get a hundred pounds cash. It was through some fan that gave him the job. Right. And he'd been like, You'd be like they need someone to do a Sunday night shift for their security. I literally have to go and sit there and basically fall asleep in a chair. And I wake up Monday, you guys have all been hung over because you're at a party at San Lee. I wake up at, <sighs> I wake up at eight in the morning. I I probably slept four hours instead of eight hours, but I don't really sleep after games and I got 150 quid or whatever it is. That's Canadian. That's 350 or 375 at the time. He's like that's my monthly mortgage payment at home, you know, for a Sunday night and he did it did it for two years that i was there with him so i just thought he was cheap i didn't really know he, he was a grafter you know <laughs> but yeah i love bernie I, I still talk to him now and and uh, uh i really respect him. he's won three stanley cuts with chicago and and whenever i i talk hockey and i need some advice so he's one of the first guys i call so
1: sorry Tom, i just wanted to ask you quickly because we're, we're deliberately steering away from asking you about cardiff devils as gm D- do you remember experiencing Cardiff as a player coming into the old Wales national ice rink and yeah. guys like Matulic and William and Mikey Ware. I think what, what, what were your memories of Cardiff as a player?
4: I think if I saw Ivan Matulik right now, I might, I might seriously still do this. <laughs> 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 we used to start those games when I was in Bracknell, we would, me and McCosh, Shane McCosh is my D partner. We had we, like Wiss or whoever would come in and give you the starting lineup, and We'd be like, okay, let's just get through these first two minutes. Like that's like, it, it wasn't even like, let's try to score in the first two minutes. Like, let's just weather the storm. Let's try to get these through, you know, let, let Matulik and McWilliam run around and, and run us for two minutes. And then maybe they'll calm down a little and we can get playing this game. Cause like you'd line up and you'd be starting, you'd see like Matulik and you'd be like, this guy, like, like I, I he was one of the first guys where I was like, what is he doing over here? Like go to the NHL, leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> Matulik was so good and so big and so strong. And like, he had that like the, the next guy that I saw with like that barrel that like you know Blair Riley when you see him like in the lock, yeah. just like you know, like he's huge, he's just big all over. Like Matullik was like that. I was just like, My God, like go go home, get out of here, get back to Edmonton or wherever you wherever you were playing in the NHL, just leave leave this league to us.
2: <laughs> Hands like shovels as well.
4: Yeah.
2: I used and to dread I, I used I, to dread the handshakes.
4: Oh yeah. And and uh Mike Ware same thing like nightmares about that guy I I I have uh it wasn't when it was actually when I was in in Belfast but Shane everyone thought me and Shane Johnson because we like I wore 44 Shane wore 4 we are d partners we we both we kind of looked the same on the ice and and Johnny Johnny stood up Mike Ware one time like unbelievable like Mike Ware was coming across when this is in Belfast so it's 7000 it's our first year in Belfast he stands up Mike Ware I I think where is he might have been in might have been in London, then. I can't even remember. And Mike Ware. So Johnny stands him up, like just like hammers him, hammers it, and Mike Ware's just like teetering, like this, right? And 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 he falls, like he, and, and like 7,000, It's like the, a tower fell down. Seven thousand people, are like oh! And Johnny hits him, turns, and tra- changes with me, right? So Ware looks up, he <laughs> catches Johnny out of the corner of his eye sees this like a four or something and then he probably shakes it off and he sees me in the corner with my basically standing like this with my head in the corner <laughs> and I got absolutely run from behind like it would, he'd be 20 game suspension right now he probably doesn't remember it was probably one of <laughs> a thousand of those hits in, in that day but, um, <laughs> that's the first time I had a concussion it just I, I remember just KO'd out out like just don't even remember what happened and being back on the bench couldn't remember my name Played the rest of the game though. <laughs> solid, solid protocol right there. Yeah. Solid <laughs> fashion protocol. And if I tell the story in like five minutes, you'll know that there was no lasting effect. No <laughs> yeah. So we reminded a little bit to to
0: we you, you decide to go to Belfast. Um, was it that trust in, in Wisp that, that made it easier for you? Because it's a startup organization. At, you know, hockey at, at that level hasn't really been tested in that area. So I guess it is a little bit of a gamble. What, what were your, your thoughts and feelings moving to Belfast for the first time? So when, when uh, to sorry, Belfast. Tom, can
1: you tell the story as well about how you didn't answer the phone for six weeks? W-
4: WIST or me? You you, you. you told me you didn't answer the phone for six no, no, weeks. Yeah, no, I'm getting to that. Yeah. So, so basically, what happened was when WIST went to Belfast, I don't know if it was a league rule or an agreement with Bracknell. Basically he could take, I think he could take two people with him. Right. So he took Rob Stewart as his assistant coach and he took Kevin real, who was our best player in Bracknell, right. Kevin real. And, uh, and that was it. The rest of us weren't going. And, and I, I saw Stewie was still in Bracknell. Like he was back and forth between Bracknell and, and Belfast and, and Wiss had told us like Belfast is unbelievable. I've been over there and checked it out. It's going to be unbelievable. The arena is going to be in, in, insane. And and Stewie told us about how he can't sign any of us. Like he, he's just not allowed to sign any of us. And, and Stewie's like, but Bracknell only has, it was like another four or five weeks before they have to make you an offer. And then if you call Wiss, well, technically he didn't call you. So I had this, I was in Calgary and I had a lock, like my, a rule at my house. I was like, I am never here. No matter who calls, I'm never here. So my parents would get a call and the poor guy, like, I think it was Ennio Saccolato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was calling and he was calling me and probably a few other players. And, and I had called Wardy, Colin Ward, like my best buddy and said, like, don't answer the phone for like five weeks. I'll call you when you can call Wiss. And so, yeah. So I waited out and then I called Wiss and I was like, Hey Dave, I uh, haven't heard from Bracknell. So, I'm just going to throw my name in the in the in the pod here. So Sign me like an hour later then Ben Wardy called. Hey Dave, how's it going? Uh, just haven't heard from Bracknell, so uh, I thought I'd throw my name in the. And so that's so we all did that, and that's how we all got there. So um, Paxton, me, Johnny, like the core of the team, the 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 core of like the heart and soul of that team from Bracknell, bar Brian Greer, we all left and went to uh, we all left and went to Belfast. And man. Did they boo us when we went back to Bracknell? And, um, and you know what? I got to say, you know, you look back and you think, I used to always think like Bracknell treated us bad. And, uh, and I was right. <laughs> 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 they treated us bad. Uh, and, and I remember when I first went back to Br- Bracknell, I did a, an article in the paper because there was no real internet coverage then. And I, and I said, like, cause I was, I like, I mean, that, that, story about San Lee, it never got better. I never drove a better car or lived in a different house. I lived in that, that terrible haunted house for three years. I just, I just loved, I just loved it. I did good <laughs> right? But, but like, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, like, I remember saying when I first ran teams, I will never treat players like they treated me in Bracknell. Never, ever, ever. And I got treated like shit and, uh, and we all did. And and I said in the article, they're like, why did you, why did you all leave and go to Belfast? And I was like, you can only live in a haunted house and drive the worst car in the league for so many years. And that was literally the quote. <laughs> the people booed us. And, and I mean, the people of Bracken were great. Like I, like, if I look back on fun years, like, like fun, fun years of like, you know, like, Franny, you have those years, like half your team single, you're going to London every Monday on pub crawls. It was so fun. Like you, it, it wasn't, And that's why shocking. We won because like we, we played hard, but we had fun, you know, like literally every Monday, we went to the whole team, the whole team went to London on an all day pub crawl. And then we were always on the ice on Tuesday and um, sweating it out. And, uh, and, and, you know, by the time we were on the weekend, we were, we were fine, but like, we never, we really basically drank Sunday and Monday nights and that was it. But, but yeah, like it was a fun, it was a fun year. And and so I, I look back on Bracknell very fondly, but, yeah, they, they couldn't have treated us worse. They didn't they didn't give a shit about us at all. You know, like you are you are just another employee there, and I, I, I have a tough time arguing with anyone that would try to tell me different. You know, even and you know and I you know John Nike is passed on now, but um, still doesn't mean that he treated us well. He he wasn't he wasn't good to us. When when we I'll give you an example. When we won the league, he brought in a bunch of empty champagne bottles, expensive champagne bottles. And we had to take a picture like he bought us expensive champagne. <laughs> we have a picture, this picture of all of us holding champagne bottles, and they were all empty. And we never got any champagne. Wow. wow. So, um, that's the kind of th- stuff. And, and yeah, we drove uh, we drove terrible cars and lived in terrible houses. So I'm not surprised that the Bracknell bees were not in this uh, not in the league very long. So. Todd, when you, when you went
1: to Belfast, sorry,
4: and, and I promised this is
1: the last one, and you might not want to answer this, but uh, away from hockey, I'm always interested in the, in the human side. Did, did you kind of, because you're a clued up guy, did you realize it was a bigger project? Did you realize it was, I guess, pretty political over there? Or, or, or was it just hockey for you?
4: I knew it was political because my um, my grandmother was from, from Northern Ireland. So, um, so I have an Irish passport, actually. So... Um, and and uh, my parents freaked out when I signed in Belfast. Like, like my mom was crying. I think I don't I don't know if, if maybe I'm exaggerating that they freaked out, but they certainly were a little concerned because you know it was kind of the old country that no one really talked about. And and I mean, growing up in Canada, you learn a lot about the troubles, and you learn all about Northern Ireland, and and um, and it's I mean, until you live over there, you cannot fully end, like. One thing I noticed about Northern Ireland is once you get out of there, like it, you're engrossed in it. You, you, you have to learn about it. It's such an important part of their culture. And, and I read so many books about the troubles and about, cause it's very interesting and, and you can experience it right then and there. You can, you, you want to know the pub that something happened in, you can go to that pub, you can drive down the, the peace line. You can, you know, these counties where things were happening. Like it's, it's really interesting, but like it's recent and, and, yeah, my parents were worried. The funny thing is like the the guys that I, I I played summer hockey with like loads of guys that played pro all over Europe. And um, my last day that, that I went, uh, they're all like, like, and I mean, these are guys, there's guys that played in the NHL. There's guys that played in the American league, Swiss league, all over the world. And uh, they're all, they're all kind of giggling. We're we're playing like shinny pickup hockey. We, We do it three days a week for all of July kind of thing. And they're all like, Hey, we got you something. And I'm like, "What? what? And like, you know, some of these guys, you think they don't even know my name. They're like, "No, we got you some We got you something." And there was this big present wrapped up, and and what it was is, so I open it up, and it's a hockey stick with a round mirror duct taped on it, and they're like, <laughs> this, "This is the check for bombs." I got to do your call. <laughs> <laughs> and they thought it was the funny. I thought it was. To this day, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so, but. And, and you know, it's you know, you, you, you hear like, oh, you're never going to see that stuff. You're never going to experience it. my first day. So the, the first year we were there, they kept us. They didn't want us living in Belfast. We lived in a town about 30 minutes outside of Belfast called Bangor. And uh, and we went down to Bangor, like on the pier, like just to local bar. And we went to like, you know, like it was like me, Shane Johnson, Corey Carlander, Colin Ward, few of us Packer maybe. And um, went to the bar, went home that night, the next day in the papers. The bouncers at that bar got in their car, and there was a car bomb in it. And we were like, "Holy shit, this stuff is real!" And like, the first time you see car, uh, you see the the police cars in Northern Ireland when we first got there, they look like tanks. Like they've got yeah. they're built like tanks. And 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 into you know, like thinking about it, this is this is two thousand, right? Like this is two that's twenty one years ago. I was in Belfast, and and like they just, I mean, I would say. Uh, you know, like as far as a place that's progressed over the last few years, like Belfast to me is one of the great, most best kept secrets in Europe, as far as like, like if I had the choice of saying you you want a great experience for Irish music, culture, pub crawl, skip Dublin, go to Belfast. It's 10 times better. I I, I could work for the tourist board for Northern. Ireland. I loved, <laughs> I loved everything about it. I loved living there. I loved my, the the setup I had there. I loved the giants. I loved the arena my wife loved it there our kid was born there like I would move back there in a heartbeat I, I loved it loved loved every bit about it and couldn't recommend it enough and, and that's why the 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 pub crawl the the double header we have in Belfast every year is so fun we take all our sponsors there and and I feel like I'm back in my town and like we had some we had a lot of success there as a player and as a general manager and and honestly I would have never left I, I was very content there it's a great place to live and I think People don't realize how good it is. The people there don't realize how good it is because it's kind of like, you know, they're always kind of like, oh, they're, they, you know, no one really thinks about them. They think of, in, in the UK, it's England first, then Scotland, then Wales, then somewhere down the line, it's Northern Ireland. And it's a great place to live. It really is.
0: So, how much do you think you talked about, you know, being 20 years and how, how progressive has been? How much do you think the Giants did have an effect? Uh, you know, the tagline has always been, in the land of the Giants, everyone is equal um do you, do you think it's had a you know a, a real positive effect on our area
4: I think um by the way John I do like living in Cardiff more I know I just pumped the tires <laughs> <laughs> just, just in case players are watching this I do like Belfast more or uh, I do like
1: <laughs> <laughs> <I'm laughs>
4: oh um, no. <laughs> um, I, I, I generally do and we could talk about that why and why but uh there's no point but um As far as an impact on the community i don't think there's a team in the world that could have more of an impact on the community than belfast giants and and i know i'm not with them now but you got to give them props for what they did for that for like i mean Mm -hmm. they and i'm not saying they you know they mended the the piece in northern Ireland or anything but like man that is that that was something it was it was so like it's it's it sounds cheesy but you felt like you were a part of something bigger you really did like i mean they they did a good job of kind of like educating you on it. And the players we had, I think Wiss knew to recruit as, as much as he had to recruit good players, he had to recruit good talkers too. Cause we talked and we networked and we went to events and we, I mean, we went to an event, uh, me and Colin Ward went to the Belfast sports awards in like 2001. And uh, maybe 2000, well, the first year, might've been in January, 2001. And, um, and we went to and this is my knowledge of sport john you'll you'll hate me for this and and apologies to everyone in northern ireland if you're watching this we went to an event and and there's all these celebrities all these sports celebrities are there and we see this lady walk by and me and colin are like oh my god did you see that lady did you see how gorgeous she was and one of the guys at our table goes keep it qu- keep, keep it quiet man that's Alex Best and I'm like who's Alex <laughs> Best? <And they're> like <laughs> that's George, that's George Best's wife and I'm like who's George Best? Uh. <laughs> to a table of Northern Ireland sports reporters I said who's George Best? And to this day it makes me cringe thinking that those are- <laughs> 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 so i got like, an
2: airport named after him.
4: <laughs> yeah, I got an education in in why George Best is the greatest player in the world and god forbid like what a dumb thing to say but but uh but like we were signing autographs that night and and at that event with guys like george best and tony mccoy and people were coming up to the belfast giants to get their autographs because they were just so shocked that there was hockey and like our first game there was seven thousand people there watching our warm-up because they had no clue what was going on and and there were events like i remember being in an event where we 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 got to the bar after Harp was our sponsor, Harp Logger, And we got to the bar after the game. And there were so many students at the bar that the bouncers are like, look, we can lift you up on the crowd, but you're going to have to crowd surf to the stage. And, and <laughs> I'm 24, 25. I'm like happy. Absolutely. Like lift me up, buddy. So there we are. And we, me and Jeff Hode are literally crowd surfing over <laughs> students, right? And he just, he just goes, he just looks over and he goes, we're rock stars, man. We're rock stars. <laughs> Wasn't there seven
2: foot cutouts of Paxton outside every pub in Belfast pretty every much? Pub, I remember every, those. Pub
4: Belfast, every pub in Belfast had a cutout of Pax, uh, yeah. Pax Schulte. They wanted us to call them the fridge, Pax in the Fridge Schulte. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, we were everywhere. We, we had these gold cards from Harp. Where we could go to any pub and get a free pint, literally like, like a credit card. Uh Wiss had a, a keg and as a keg and you know glass glasses in his garage. And and the people in his neighborhood, I don't I they they did some jobs that people don't tell you they did in Northern Ireland for, for security reasons. They would be in his garage drinking beer after their shift was done. <laughs> and and yeah we would pop by the garage and have a couple pints of harp with this sometimes he was like he was running a, a bar it was it was hilarious and they'd, they'd back up the harp truck once a month and they'd back up and give you four cases of harp and um yeah it was it was it was like that for three years and then and reality set in and realized that they'd spent all their money and lost all their money and mm-hmm. that's you know that was kind of the demise of the super league but um
3: yeah, we were Tom. Go, going back to the TV interviews and stuff, what, what was the uh, the interview you told me about one time with the song lyrics?
4: Oh, we met Lionel Richie, and uh, <laughs> we tried. To, we, Lionel Richie was on the show with us, so me and Colin Ward were in the green room. And we were like, Let's try to get as many Lionel Richie songs into the conversation as possible. And and like, okay, what what can we get? Like dancing on the ceiling, like you know, once, twice, three times, a lady. And I was like, I got it. So we met him, and I just went hello and you <laughs> and he walked out <laughs> yeah. yeah we had yeah it was funny we used to get we used to get paid for tv appearances then uh like we'd go on <laughs> go on like these talk shows and then they'd be like can you just uh, send us your information and we'd get like 200 pounds to be on tv so like you do like a, a bbc interview and you'd get 200 pounds those days are long gone. That doesn't happen anymore. But um, yeah, it was it was, it was crazy. It was i bad. say the
2: first the first year when we used to go out to do games. Fair play to the organisation. They used to pick us up from the airport. They they put us out in the black. Uh, remember the black cab tours and stuff like that. So even there's like an official going over, you still get all the history. You'd get the gold cards going using the pubs after games and stuff. We were royally looked after over there it was amazing it's a great and uh, and that's why us as the visiting team never got any calls yeah
4: yeah
2: (laughs) that's why you always get them at home
4: franny teams loved coming to belfast because it was like it was the only road trip where you stayed in a hotel pretty much you know and and And, we stayed in hotels every weekend It, it got ridiculous like our travel was terrible but um we're totally- i
3: remember when we played you used to play a lot of midweek games didn't you because maybe the arena was booked on the weekend so yeah. it'd be a midweek game and obviously you're not flying back till the next day so that meant an automatic team night out no game the next day and yeah. i remember when wis was our coach actually in cardiff and uh, it was me jonna phil hill and uh He said, I think we may have been playing on the Thursday and then we got a game on a Saturday. So he doesn't want to get us too boozed up. So he's like, whatever you do, do not get in at three in the morning. So we're out in Belfast and we're having the time of our lives. And then we find another bar. The bar's normally shut quite early, but then we find, like, maybe it was Thompson's Garage or somewhere else. And uh, we go in there and it goes to two o'clock. And then it's coming near three o'clock. And we're like, boys, Wiss said, do not come in at three o'clock. So we're going to have to stay out a bit longer. So so that was us. We stayed out the whole night then and then uh, got straight in the plane, I think. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no. And actually, we had practice the next day. And uh, Wiss called off practice after about five minutes because it was a write-off. And uh, (laughs) we said, Wiss, you just said, don't come in at three o'clock. And we didn't. We're following your instructions. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> but, but you know on the hockey side of things it was you know like two, two of the best teams I ever played on um the second and third year in Belfast the, the the year we won the league I think we clinched by January and then we we clinched in Bracknell actually and then the third year when we won the playoffs that was like Stevie Thornton came from London that year um that's probably why I'm such good buddies with Thornton but that was a hell of a team too a lot a lot of fun like that, the Super League was I mean it was incredible hockey it really was. We went to Europe that year we beat Davos um in the in the what was it called back then the Europa or the I was the Europa league.
3: Kind of Cup. Yep. Cup. Yeah. When I was looking back at the rosters earlier time, one one thing that like blew my mind on that is I forgot how small the rosters were on those uh, Super League teams. Like the year that you had the year that you were the league champions in oh one oh two you had five D 10 forwards, not just like to end the seat, but that was the whole year, not one player, up, not one player, you know.
4: And that's, and it's crazy. Cause like, and that's it. It's crazy to think of that because yeah, like we had, we played five, I think my whole professional career, we played five D.
5: Yeah.
4: Five defense and, and I, if there was a sixth defenseman, I'd be like, this sucks. It's like, we have no ice time. And now, and maybe this, maybe it's fast. It is faster now, but like, I just I I don't know I just I was always a guy that loved being on the ice. So and and yeah you you'd play you dress 10 forwards like nine or 10 forwards and mm-hmm. and if there were injuries I I actually don't even I, I assume we just like I think we just went down to four defense and then played nine forwards like we always had nine forwards like the year and the next year we uh Sheffield had gone four lines and so we had we actually had 11 forwards and 60 or no we had we had 10 forwards and 60 and then we changed it to 11 forwards and 5d because we needed to kind of go four lines and and especially in the European games but um yeah it's crazy to think of that you know you look at some of the team pictures and you're like there's four guys missing you know (laughs) but but yeah but yeah some some amazing it's one of the things like I'm very very proud to have been a Belfast Giant like to play for the Belfast Giants I know they're our big rival now and probably probably because you know I left there to come here and stuff but you know, I, I was very proud to play for him and I was very proud to get to, to run the team. It was a lot of fun. Um, I was
3: going to say, Todd, the fact that you were there for year one, I, I always think there's something special if you're there at year one, no matter what it was. I mean, in, in my job away from hockey, I I came into to my company when they just started the department and that was special because it was something that had never been done before. And that must been really special being part of the very first yeah, Belfast Giants
4: yeah it is and it's cool to talk back about like to to remember back like we always you know like I see Mark Cavalin I saw him two years ago I hadn't seen him in probably 15 years and we go right back like you, you just have so many good memories of the guys you play with but that first year in Belfast like it was you really you really like it was insane the stuff like I don't know if any team's ever done more promotions than that you know like it, we did so many promotions we did a bus tour we got booed by the people of Belfast. We did a bus tour. We hadn't even won a game yet, and they had us doing a bus tour before the first home game, which was in December. We'd lost like 12 games on the road. People were booing us like, go home, you washed up Canadians. (laughs) 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 And we're like, oh, they kind of got us tagged there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ranny, enough of the nice stuff though. Are you you gonna finally call Todd out about uh, costing us the lead title and the Tyler Michelle incident?
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, since we're moving on to him as a GM, so you take over as a GM two thousand and was it two thousand seven midway through the season?
4: I, I don't count that one because I was still playing. So
3: yeah, still play. And then, but that must have been
4: before like, we get. We are going to get into the Tyler Michelle a bit. Right. But um, yeah, no. So my first my first year as GM, they they literally called me. So real quick one because John, I don't want to take up too much time because I know you're sick of this. But mm-hmm. the way I got it, the, the way I got into being the general manager is. After the super league folded, I came back and I needed a job besides hockey. Cause I was like, I cannot come back for like half the money. And so Rob Stewart and his wife helped me get a job. I, I worked as a printing salesman while I played hockey. So I literally was a sales manager for a printing company in Belfast while I played hockey. And I did this for like two and a half years and going into the third year, um, the, the owner who I knew, but I didn't really know that well, Jim Gillespie called me up and asked me to come to his house. And I was freaking out. Cause I was like, he's pissed, man. He's, he knows I've got a uh-huh. job. My printing job makes far more money than my hockey job. I'd started a magazine on the side cause they didn't have a program in Belfast. So I was like, I work in a printing company. I'll just start a program. And I, so I bought the rights to sell a program off of the Belfast giants. And I paid them 10 grand for that. And then I sold all the sponsorship in the magazine. And then I also started selling sponsorship because I kind of knew everyone in town from the printing job. So I started selling. (laughs) And so then, and then the local radio station asked me if I wanted to do a radio show. So I was like, sure. And I just thought it was for fun. And they're like, you know, they're like, "Uh, how much do you charge? And I'm like, oh, and I kind of threw out a number and they're like, okay. So then I had a radio job, a printing job, a magazine publishing business. And I was, and I was playing hockey. So I thought they are pissed. They figured it out that I'm, I'm making far too much, like more than I'm playing hockey. So I generally thought he was like calling to fire me because he was like, you can't do that. And, um, and yeah, he basically said like, I like that you're doing all this stuff and do you wanna run the team? And so, and I was like, well, no, I, I'm still playing. It's only October. And he's like, well, we can, <laughs> we can find another defenseman. And I was like, well, why don't I, why don't I play out the year? Could, you know, could I have a testimonial? It's my 10 year pro. can I have a testimonial? And the testimonials where I tried all the crazy shit that we did in Belfast for the first time, giving away pizzas, ridiculous stuff in the crowds. Because up to that point, we hadn't really done any of that stuff. So, yeah. So that's how... And was, I,
3: that, and was that the
4: Fleury year then? No, Fleury was... Flurry was my... Fleury was the next year. Oh, no, no. Fleury was that year. Yeah. Fleury was... Flurry was the year before. Fleury was the year before. Oh yeah. five oh six. I was six only was, working uh... for printing salesman then. I wasn't a gentleman. So, <laughs> Flurry thought it was the funniest thing because like I wore a suit to practice because I had to go on sales. <laughs> and he was like, why are you wearing a suit? And I'm like, I actually sell printing. Like I'm a salesman. And he goes, he like he's like, oh my God, the defenseman I passed on the power play sells printing for a living. And he <laughs> sees Graham Walton working at the rink, right? <laughs> and he's like, "He's like, what have I come into here? So, Yeah. <laughs>
0: How weird was it on that first day when Theo Fleury walks through the door and he's in your locker room and he's now your teammate and you're still the fourteen year old kid watching him win the Stanley Cup in Calgary?
4: I called him Mister Fleury first day. It's like, "Hey Uh you're you're literally my favorite." I, I I was I could not even sleep the night before. And <laughs> I, I was so, and the guys knew because like they knew he was my favorite player, and I was just like. I, I was like, I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know if I can even play on this team with this guy. Like, I love this guy so much, and and like you know when he was going through all the troubles with drink and, and drugs, I was I was Team Flurry the whole way. I'm like, it's not his fault. He's in New York. It's there. Why would they trade him in New York? Why did they sign in New York? And I love that guy. My parents love that guy. Everyone, and um, and I just went. I was like, hey, Mr. Flurry, uh, and he's like, you're gonna have to call me Th- Theo or something. You can't call me Mr. Flurry. <laughs> and so first couple of road trips, like he came to us. I'll, I'll never jason ruff who's a really funny guy he was still on the team he left halfway through the year but after the after the first or second practice he he uh, theo asked for a meeting with the captains and i think it was i think it was like me shane johnson jason ruff and georgia water or something like that right and he pulled us into the little side room in belfast he's like hey i, I want to talk to you guys and he's like listen can my fi- my fiance is gonna he didn't say can he said my fiance is gonna have to come on the road with us because you know I, i'm 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 you know, I'm on the, like, I'm just recovering and I need her there because I need a support network around me. So I don't fall off the wagon. And we're like, yeah, no problem. Like whatever we can do, whatever, you know, we'll be there for you, whatever, if you need her there, she can come on every, so she came on every road trip, but there's, here's the kicker. He goes, you know, I've been sober for, I've been sober for nearly a week now. And we're like, okay. And then he walks out and Jason Ruff goes, a week, <laughs> 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 What are you talking about? We told us it had been like six months. The owners told us it had been like six months. Like a week. And so Ruff's like, so today's Friday. So basically he had a bender on Saturday night, got on the plane Sunday, Goes <laughs> he up here Monday. So he just, he just hasn't drank in this week really, right? Like, like a week. And, uh, and yeah. And, and to, in fairness to flurry, great teammate, didn't, didn't get in, didn't touch drink, didn't do like he, he, he's the only human, I, I told him when he left, I was like, you know what, you're going to go down in history as the only human to move to Ireland to sober up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. And, and great guy, great teammate, uh, you know, bought us all drinks when we went on the road, like came to the bar, didn't drink, just hung out with the team, told stories. And we, we were all nervous about asking him about stories. Right. And Cause like, if I have a story about Neil Francis and Andrew Lord, he's got a story about Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier. His stories are way better than my stories. And, and, um, he, uh, yeah, like it was the first road trip or something. We were all kind of like talking, like fuck, we should ask him. We should ask. So finally we were like, Hey, Theo, any chance of some stories? And he's just like, I'll tell you them all. You, you did. And he would hold court after games. He would, he would be drinking a, a Fanta orange. And we'd all have pints, which was actually nice. Cause like, it's probably tough to see us all drinking. Right. But like he would just drink Fanta and he would hold court and tell us stories. And, and, and we kind of, we all agreed sideline from Theo. We all said like, one of us always stays back with him. Like one of us, if we all go to the bar, we rotate one, one of us always stay back with him and his fiance until they go to bed. Cause he's a great teammate. One of us always, so on the road, you know, maybe we're in Edinburgh, and everyone goes out, and I'm staying with them. And maybe the next week, Curtis Hupy's staying with them, and then the next week, Jason Ruff. But we we kind of rotated to just to make sure that he was okay, and and he was great, great teammate, great guy. What are your
0: memories of that crazy game against Cardiff, where it's a sellout rink, and Theo and Ed Courtney maybe uh, lost their head a little bit with Nigel Boniface, and you didn't clinch the league in front of the sellout crowd, and maybe the <laughs> bill for sticks went up a little bit towards the end of the year
4: so maybe the the producer can edit in a clip of ed courtney throwing the sticks here i've here. got it okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, the problem we had with that is we we were ahead of ourselves we, we were already planning the celebration because even if we lost it like it was inevitable we could have lost every game we had to get one point or something but we were sure we were going to win that midweek sellout like you don't sell out a midweek game that in back then right we took an extra seats as well at the, at the bar. You remember, I think so. And, and it just went wrong right from the start. Like Cardiff scored two right away. I got thrown, people forget, Flurry got thrown out. Ed Courtney got thrown out. I got thrown out too, because I was losing my, I was the third to get thrown out. I lost my mind on Boniface, lost my mind on him. And and I, I told, I called him everything in the book, told him exactly what I thought. Um, I, to this day, I think Nigel Boniface was the worst ref we ever had. Um go, Bonnie Face. side note from this I don't think it was after that game one time it might have been a few years before that Bonnie face had a typical bad game in Belfast and he showed up at the bar that we all like our team bar and uh and he was at the bar I could see him like through the crowd I could see his face and he kind of gives me the like that you know and I'm like and I go and talk to the doorman and I'm like can you please go get that guy in a suit and escort him and his friends out of the bar? And Alton <laughs> <laughs> literally went and grabbed him and the other two officials and just took them straight out of the bar.
3: I'm and so he- hoping the other official was, was
2: Huggs. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
4: <laughs> I think it might have been actually.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it might have been Hixie. Hixie um, and Bonnie did lots of uh, games back then. But let's just say there was when, when I, the allocations came out and you saw who so the referee were. Who your referee was than um some of you look forward to, some of you didn't look forward to because you'd end up having a busier night than you should have. Nigel might have been on that second list.
4: <laughs> and but yeah, so like we screwed up and it was embarrassing, and Ed lost his rag and threw sticks and gloves and helmets on the on the ice, and Flurry lost his mind. And then they got suspended for like five games each or something. And and like we couldn't win them. Like I hate to say we like think of the lineup. we they were our top two scorers, top two in the league, our best two players, our coach. And I remember it was so embarrassing. Like we we would be sitting there and be like me and Georgia Wada trying to trying to convince the team that we can beat and like we're going into Basingstoke and we need like a point, a tie in Basingstoke. And and Ed and them are up in the corner watching us. And like you're you're like, you could just see them like shaking their head at how bad we were without them. It was just like
5: <laughs>
4: and I think we lost like four in a row and then and then then the the last place Edinburgh Capitals beat like Newcastle in Newcastle or something like that. So we won the league because we like we had six chances or four chances to win it. We lost them all. We won the league on a Sunday night because the Edinburgh Capitals beat the Newcastle Vipers and we got a point, or they 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 could mathematically not catch us anymore. And back then, like there was like a IH update website, you know, like a really crappy website. And we, you were just all refreshing. And it was very, <laughs> it was unreliable because some nights, like it had the score like 2 1 for Edinburgh. Then it was 2 1 Newcastle. Then it was 2 1. Like it, it, they kept getting wrong. And so then it stopped. And then it went no more updates. And we're all calling each other, like, did they win or did they lose? I don't know. i, I Last time I saw it was 2 1 Edinburgh. Last time I saw it was 2 1 Newcastle. <laughs> we're trying to figure out. And then finally, someone called the rink manager in edinburgh wherever the game was and like what what was the final score and they told us and then we then like we had to ring we didn't have cell phone. like we had to ring around and we called everyone we were like meet at the bar in half an hour we just won the league <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah and, and flurry came and and bought everyone drinks and we celebrated and he didn't touch it he just sat there and and him and his girlfriend sat there and and partied with us and and yeah and it, it's funny because like as every like imagine you've won the league and you're waiting for your 15 or 16 teammates to come through the door and you're just every time someone comes through the door it's, you're recelebrating, right like ah because <laughs> they come through the door and it was it was a lot of fun but like a terrible way to win it terrible way to win it. Um,
3: I think we we were just playing to get a night out if we won in Belfast yeah. we were having a good night out in the midweek <laughs> and uh, that's what that was that's what we were playing for
1: Did it mean something to you, Todd, when Fleury went back and yeah, I know it was symbolic, but the fact he got to finish as a flame, was that, was that a nice touch?
4: Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I'll never forget, he did a great interview because he, he went back. I mean, it was three or four years later that he was actually back with the flames. It wasn't the next year, maybe two years later. And they took him and they, and he got in sick shape. He worked out all summer and he was playing exhibition games and his last game, they, uh, they went into a shootout and it was sold out in the, in, in the saddle dome and Fleury got to be the last shooter and he scored and he, and he won the game. And it was, they described it like it was game seven Stanley Cup playoffs, <laughs> but it was an exhibition game. It was sold out because Flurry is that popular. Like he was so popular in Calgary. And, and after the game, I remember watching the press conference and I mean, this is preseason. No one, no one even cares about preseason and they interviewed and they said, is it tough? Cause like they, I think after the game, they said like Theron Fleury is going to be, you know, cut from the squad and, 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 um, and they said, Theron, is it, is it tough that, that, you know, you're, you, you didn't, you didn't make it back. Like, you, you know, this long road and everything you did and fought alcoholism is it tough that you didn't make it back? And his response was great. He was just like, what are you talking about? I just scored the overtime winner. Or I just scored. The- <laughs> and, and I just thought, that's the best. Like, if you know him, that's him, right? Like, yeah. what are you talking to him? I just scored. I, did, I I made it back. I just did all that work. <laughs> what do you mean? I oh, you did all that work for nothing? No. I, what do you mean? I just scored. I just scored the the shootout winner, and and that was it. That was that was him done. And I think it was it was great. I think like I thought maybe someone would have taken him for PR purely because and because he's that good on the power play, and I thought the Flames might have done it, but because they weren't that good that year. But I think it might have been a huge distraction too because. He's, he was so – it was probably like Michael Jordan going back to the Washington Wizards years after Chicago. You know?
0: <laughs> so, Todd, after all, you know, you, you're ending your, your time on the ice in Belfast. Did it, was there any second thoughts? I mean, you were pretty young in, in sort of British hockey terms to, to, to end that, that career there. I know I think we joked a few years ago when Ashley Tate was still playing <laughs> but he, he was older than you and uh you were up in the stands and you had me for some time so what was you know was were you comfortable not playing anymore
4: yeah i mean it, i'm one of those guys that like you know my friends at home would always say this like i love hockey like it, it is my favorite thing in the world like if if i had a chance to and this is what kept me on the straight and narrow pretty much my whole life i was never a guy that thought like i'm gonna skip out on curfew to you know, I, I I want to skip out on curfew because I want to go to the party on the weekend, and my coach said be home at midnight, and I'm coming home at two in the morning for on a Friday night. and We have a game Saturday. Like I I was so straight and narrow because hockey and like and if people said like what's your dream day, I'd be like wake up, call my buddies, go play pickup hockey, go home. You know, maybe watch a game. Like I love it and I love playing it. It was my favorite thing to do, and but I also my dream for when I finished hockey was to get into management. I never wanted to coach. Like, I know a lot of people want to coach, but I always wanted to kind of run the business side of things and, and be involved in the hockey. But, but I had a plan and, and my plan was like, I, I was quite open about it. Like I was, I was planning to go to Sheffield the, the next year and do my MBA. Um, I talked to Matsos about it. Um, I was like, I, I have to get my MBA. Like I, I need to get an MBA because that's the only way I'm going to get into management and at the time Belfast didn't have this and and so we I talked to him I was like I'll finish this year here then I'll come to Sheffield for one or two years finish you know get my MBA finish in Sheffield then I'll get into management somehow and and then I got the call to to run the team in Belfast and and like that was our plan mine and my wife's plan and and she said what about going to Sheffield and I'm like well I'm just skipping over the next two years and and or maybe it was five years. Maybe I would have played another five years. I don't know because I was always under the impression to play till my legs fell off, you know, because I loved it. But um, but when the job comes up, you can't really say no, you know. And 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 to get to run, the Belfast Giants, the team that you played for from day one, like it was, it was it was a great scenario. And then and the only tough part was they didn't tell you how much they were losing until until you signed the contract. <laughs> <laughs> and then you found out the real the real numbers. And and I mean. But yeah, it was, it was, it was great. And I think uh, I had no regrets about it. I, I think I, I got to play and, you know, I, I won a league my my last full season of playing pretty much. And, um, and, and yeah, I, I think everyone always wishes they got to play a little longer because I loved it so much, but um, yeah, it, I, I mean, I, I was very lucky. I, I, I never had that adjustment period of trying to find something else. You know, I guess I did when the Super League folded the summer before I came back to play in the Elite League for three months and I had to get a job in Calgary and I hated it. And, uh, and then I came back and worked as a printing salesman. But even when I was a printing salesman in Belfast, I was still a hockey player that sold printing. <laughs> I wasn't just a printing salesman. And, um, but like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I've had other job opportunities and, and to maybe move into the business side of hockey, just business side but I love being involved in the playing side and I'm not, I'm not nearly as involved as Franny is or ever as much. You know, I got a lot of credit for recruitment that I never did. I, I, I was minorly involved in a few players, but I love talking hockey. I love being in on decisions. Uh, me and Franny and Lordo could talk for hours about players and never gets old. Um, I love catching up with JD about old NHL days and stuff. It's, it's, it's just my passion. Like I, I, I wake up, every morning i watch the nhl highlights every single morning of my life i watch the nhl highlights and and I either tape games like i'm i'm obsessed with hockey and so if you get to work in the job that you're obsessed with and like i never wanted to take a hockey job where they're like you you get known, you can sell the sponsorship and but you you can't you can't be involved in the hockey side of like yeah i don't want that you know and 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 that's the beauty of like working in sport like i always say like you know like if you could be an accountant or you could be an accountant that works for a hockey team, or if you could be, you know, you could be a business manager or you could be a business manager that works for a hockey team every Saturday or Sunday night, you get to, you get to stand back and watch your team win or compete. Like, there's nothing like it. And, and so I get to be like, yeah, everyone bugs me because I'm on the microphone or I'm doing this or that kind of probably because I'm a bit of a control freak, but um, (laughs) I'll show you the sign, the stock, well, this is from Fee. I don't know if you can read it that's my sign that fee giving up. it says I can be flexible as long as everything is exactly the way I want it I'm totally flexible <laughs> <laughs> work for me. they know I am but but like I you know like I found my calling like I, I think anything that I was okay at I think I was an average hockey player that got probably a little bit more time than he should have deserved because he liked it so much but I think that I've done better things off the ice than than I ever did on the ice, and. And I, like in Belfast, I felt so responsible for that organization when, when I was running it, I felt like I couldn't let this fail. And I mean, it was it, no one would ever know how close it was to failing in Belfast for a lot of years and uh, good people held it together. I had great staff there. And, and then I came here and like, I always say like, I love Belfast. They're like coming to Cardiff, it, it, it got, people love hockey here. And And like, that's, that, that's what I love about this place is like, I am surrounded by people that like hockey as much as I, and, and I didn't have that in Belfast, you know, like, I I gotta be honest with you. Um, there's people that liked it, but like, they don't, they don't love it. And the fans like it. There's some that are very passionate. They were still, when I was there, they were still learning the game, a lot of them. Right. And, and, um, and there's some very knowledgeable people in hockey in, in Belfast now, but like, I think there's a lot of fans in Cardiff that have been watching hockey for 30 years, 35 years. That's a long time. And they're passionate and they love it. And, um, you know, the fan base here is what attracted us to us. Like it's, it's, Franny did a good job selling it to us, but like, man, hmm. when you could watch and look at this organization, and think they are in the, they are in, if you think of ebbs and flows of a franchise, you couldn't have been lower. Absolutely. We we got to take over this great storied franchise at the lowest point in its history, I would say. Wouldn't you say Franny? Lowest yep. point in
0: history? 100%. Yeah.
4: And, and that's a great time to take something over. I can't thank the guys the owners that uh that supported this and i can't thank franny enough for like making the call and it wasn't he wasn't calling to get me there he was calling to get someone else out <laughs> 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 but it just uh it was the right time for me and, and for steve and them and and would you ever have thought franny and i know we've never really like we never really talked about it that detailed like maybe over a few beers after we win something but would you have ever imagined it would go this well
3: No, it, it was. When I was having those conversations, and it was as a friend, you know, we'd we'd met a number of times, uh, probably through Sam's, and uh, you know, and then got to know each other, and it was, yeah, it was calling for a bit of advice, and you know, w- when you said that time, well, I know someone that wants to buy a team, but um, thing is that they'll want me to run it, and I was like, oh my god, this is just perfect. This is because I think at first maybe you thought that I wanted to take over a team or whatever, but you know, it was it was literally I knew that this this club needed um, new ownership to to get us back to where we belong. And uh, when you uttered those words, yeah, I, I know someone. I was like, well, where are they? Get them, go get them now, you know. And yeah, but, they, they, but they're going to want me to come with them. And I'm like, and <laughs> would you? <laughs> and you're we like, well, actually, I, I wouldn't mind trying something new. And it was, uh, you know, you came over a few times and you had a look around and I mean... The, some things are written in the stars, aren't they? And the timing for the new arena, you know, I think it was even a good thing that the arena wasn't ready, and we had those rustic years in the in the BBT, you know, where you're sitting in a porter cabin out in the back of the, in the car park, and uh, you know, all all the stories that we've told about ice tubs made out of uh, big dustbins and and all those things. I think it was you know, that, that year, that first year was special. We've spoken about it with, um, guys like Wally and, you know, bringing that great group of guys. And, you know, there's a theme that's running through the whole thing, speaking to Vez about that, that first year that the Devils won the Super League, um, and the group of guys and the bond that they all had and how it translated on the ice. Same thing the first year that you guys took over. We had that, that team with just special, special people. And, uh, you know, we've been lucky enough to, to carry that on, but um, yeah, it's it's crazy how how a couple of phone calls, and um, I always thought that I was maybe bugging you a bit when I kept on ringing and uh, saying, yeah, about, about those friends of yours that you said might be interested, any news on them yet, but uh, no, sure enough. Probably
4: because I hadn't told my wife we were moving to Cardiff yet.
3: Yeah, that's <laughs> why you're, that's you're yeah, being that, all invasive that, with
4: that, me. That's, that's crazy talk, Freddie. <laughs> <Yeah. about that. laughs>
3: <laughs> and, I, and I, I do remember that that when I'm thinking that this is all done deal over the line he's like okay I'm gonna have to come over this weekend um and, and before I do um I gotta tell my wife that uh, that we're coming
4: across <laughs> and I was like he hasn't told his wife yet this is all gonna go wrong but uh but no it, you know, it's funny about that. I, I came across and um and I asked Paul Reagan like, and, and I I know some people might have beef with him, but I, I certainly don't really have any beef with him. And uh, I, but I asked him, I was like, can you recommend a hotel that I can stay at? Like a good hotel. I'm bringing my wife to kind of convince her to come across. And you know what he told me? The future in. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I am not, I am not like I, I, when my house wasn't ready, I had to stay at the future in a lot of nights. I'm not ripping on the future. In. But you think like if you're trying to impress your wife to me, <laughs> the hill Celtic Manor (laughs) exactly future in and uh, yeah we got to the future in and and we it couldn't have gone worse we we got there um, we got we got upstairs someone had obviously like recently been using the bathroom and forgot to they forgot to clean it like the hotel did it couldn't have gone worse so we oh, horses <laughs> in the room and <laughs> yeah frank greer had been living there for the last six yes. months yeah. <laughs> we were we didn't even stay the night at the future and we moved to the marriott and then and then she went home a day early so we were there for like two days and then she was like i'm going home this is terrible I, i'm i'm going home taking my kid and going home and um so then i stayed here and i'm like well, this is a bit of a conundrum so sean is <laughs> yeah. uh, we're moving here in like two weeks <laughs> um, yeah. so but she 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 loves it you want to talk to someone that that loves cardiff she she liked belfast she loves cardiff absolutely loves cardiff and and um and yeah so do i my kids love it and it's 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 very different but it's uh you know like i'm i'm grateful that Franny spent so much time with me. He showed me where, you know, he basically made me live in Penarth, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was gonna I say is it Penarth Cardiff? Didn't, didn't even give me an option. Didn't even give me an option to yeah. look around. Um and uh yeah I loved it. And uh yeah it's been it's been crazy. And like we, you know, it's amazing that I talked for two hours about this and I haven't even brought up, you know, one of my closest friends and one of the best things about this place was was uh well we'll talk about the owners to finish but Andrew Lord like what a move by Franny to talk about! Like I had no idea who Andrew Lord was, and um, thank all. Well, I did. All I knew was I was recruiting him to Belfast. Remember, I almost had him sign. Yeah. Thank God he didn't sign in Belfast. Um, but like, I mean, he's in Greenville. He won't. He won't. Well, I don't know if he'll have the time to listen to this, but I mean, it's it's been such a special ride, and and to be you know, to for good people like that, guys. You know, like, well, everyone on this call, I've become friends with. But like having Franny there. Uh, it's such a it's such a great story like if you ever wish like do you remember the bbc called me like three summers ago or something like we want to do a fly on the wall documentary about your team and they actually called me three different times it wasn't bbc it was like a production company they called me before our third season right remember that was the first league we won and they said you're now you know you know we we came to your last game it was a product i can't remember the name of the production company um we, we came to your last game and we wanted to do a documentary starting all season. So we want to follow you to how you sign players, bringing the guys in that whole year. Do you imagine if they did that? That was the first year we won the league. And then we won the playoffs the, the next year. Like, could you imagine if they'd actually done it? And now, and now they call every summer. And I'm like, you're missing out, man. We keep winning. You keep missing. He's <laughs> serious. But, um, but yeah, Lordo's done a tremendous job. And, and then, you know, I know you're not asking questions about it, but like the whole ownership setup, I, I do not think, I think our fans get it. I don't think anyone can fathom the setup we have and because you ask the league, ask the fans around the league. Like I, they just give me a blank checkbook and we lose hundreds of thousands every year. And that's not the case, but we have great ownership that I'm sure, you know, we haven't had to ask them for money, but if we had to ask them for money, they would put in the money. But that's not the point of it. we have, we have great guys that own a hockey team for the right reasons. And it's never like, how can we scrimp and save? How can we save a bit of money on sticks or accommodate? It's, are the players happy? Are they, are, is everyone taken care of? Is, how, how's the setup? Is, are, do P, is this the best place to play in the league? Are the, you know, does everyone want to play there? That's the kind of thing. Are we getting, you know, are we successful? What do we need? What Do you need more staff in the office? What, what could you do to get better? Like, these guys are good people and and, and they're great guys to, to, to work on, to do, be doing this with, but it's so fun. Like it is it's ridiculous like think of some of the memories we have like friend think of the pub crawls around europe we yeah. <laughs> some of the chl trips like those are memories that you will like you like like think of Gratz. think of that experience in gratz with the with the team with beating remember that
3: call him wally from the from the pub and basically coming up with wally night after wally, probably about 12 beers yes. Fly in
4: attempt. Marty, Mardian because he was injured, and I was like, "We gotta fly Mardian just to just for the pregame talk to get the the boys excited." Yeah, and he dressed up as a, as the the whatever it was, a Viking or whatever. The Viking helmet <laughs> and
3: runs in the dressing room. Yeah, no, like I but, remember
4: looking at Riley's face when we did that. Riley was laughing like like a little kid, like he was killing himself, and he just thought it was the funniest thing that we flew in Marty to get the team pumped up. You know, not yeah. the best. Not the best, uh, you know, not the best resources, <laughs> pay, but it was, you know, 150 quid that was totally worth it, I think. <laughs> um, but uh,
3: but, but uh, you're right. It is it is so cool having, uh, you know, four owners that are as big a fans of the Devils as, as people are in the stands and who come and sit in the stands. They don't want to sit in the hospitality box. They want to sit in the in the stands with the fans. They want to go on the fan bus to the away trips. They have their hockey shirts on, you know, new shirt every year and and they'll have it on from the moment they arrive in Cardiff to to the moment they leave. And, you know, to get, uh, you know, to find four people um, that are successful but are such so ingrained into the club in such a, you know, relatively short space of time is just, it's unheard of. And it's just, you know, we're so, so lucky to have that. And again, like I say, when when the stars aligned in the timing that, you know, maybe you were looking for something different in Belfast, and um, where the Devils were at the time at rock bottom, and the arena on the horizon, and having you know four guys like that that, that were willing to come in and uh, and underwrite it, you know, to, to at least get us going. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that the club deserved it, and it's, yeah, the stars aligned that uh, when all that came came through. You
4: know, it's funny about that. I always I always think of Stephen Bryan because you know, like me and lordo would be like we talk hockey a lot with these guys these guys have big businesses that they're supposed to be running (laughs) we're bugging them for like a conference call about players and stuff Mm
5: -hmm.
4: so this is like a year or two ago and i was like like to brian and steven i was like listen i i I don't want to bug you guys all the time like are are you guys okay with us like calling you to talk about the devil the devils all the time and they're like oh this this is nothing like we talk between us, we we talk like three four times a day about that. <laughs> <laughs> like like Harpen, Josty, and Kelly, like they are constantly talking about the Devils. Like it's like, like I remember talking to their staff, and their staff would be like, they'll bring they'll bring up like the score in a board meeting. You know, like we're having a serious board meeting, and Steve would be like, oh, the Devils are up three two, and like it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> Great, you know. So you scared to have a proper Zorb football rematch though without cheating? Oh my god. dude that still, that's still scares me like who did Parker hit was it was it Alad me was Ale- it you yeah oh my god we haven't seen Alad since is he oh. <laughs>
0: they're, they're still trying to get him out of the zone I remember when that finished Franny said is your knee okay I said I, I don't know what you mean and he said when you landed I thought your ACL had like I thought
4: oh, like, like, you like, buckled like, yeah <laughs> Remember, I, I couldn't
1: would,
4: be the thing I would, have, like, I would have like ice scraped up.
1: <laughs> yeah perhaps if you could find my goal though because it was the best goal ever in the
4: history we have a video of it and it's Sharon, like brian's wife just going
1: brian yeah, leave, <laughs> alone, leave alone
4: <laughs>
2: they're now like proper ice shoes and the whole oh, yeah, sort right, of and thing they like, and like yeah. oh,
4: we were, we were they totally that. cheated they totally cheated <laughs>
2: Anyway, not that I'm I remember taking the laptop in the changing room and seeing Ali coming flying over the net you like
5: that?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, honestly it's like one of those cartoons like a bar fight yeah. cartoon just limbs everywhere it's ridiculous
1: the
0: I remember trying to commentate as well and I was just totally out of breath and it was like something going on I, I tried to talk into the mic I was like I'm done I'm gassed give me a water
4: yeah, we've been, we've been spoiled for fun, that's for sure. And it's, it's always fun winning and we've done a lot of that. And, and you know, like, it, you know, I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's organizations around the league that have, have their own special stories of, of how much fun it is there and stuff. And, you know, like I, I, like I said, I came from one great organization to, to another great organization, so I've been very lucky for that. But, yeah, it's been, it's been a hell of a ride these last, you know, until the COVID season, um, it's been very special. And I think we would have won that league the, the, in 2019-20 season if, if COVID hadn't canceled it. But, but yeah, we'll, we're moving forward. And, and I know there's probably a lot of fans watching if they've stuck it out this long or listened this long, and, and I hope they have. But, like, um, you know, one thing I would say is 2021-22 is 20, season, I think um, it's, it's a wake-up call for sports internationally all across the world and, and you know, for us as, as well. you you realize you've taken a step back and realized if you ever thought fans were important and everyone does times it by a thousand, like you realize when there's no fans in the building, how important fans are. And, and, you know, like the passion that I talked to you about, like my days of watching the flames or meeting Scott Stevens or, or, you know, waiting for autographs after games, like every kid in the stands feels that. And and our players understand that, but like they get it, but they're going to get it a whole lot more. They are going to understand the value of fans and and our fan base is going to understand how much we appreciate them because, you know, you always say, you know, we wouldn't survive. We wouldn't be here without the fans, but like we, we wouldn't be here without the fans. And that's, that's the truth. That's why we're not here this year. (laughs) You know, like it's, it's very evident. And I think, uh, I hope our fans come back in droves the way, the way they have. I hope they, uh, they remember that, you know, the, the passion that I have for hockey. I hope they bring it and, and remind remember why they love it. And I think we all do. And I think we're all kind of sitting, sitting and waiting for this to, to get over and, and get on with the world, you know?
3: Yeah, and I think those listeners that have listened to the Jared Scaldi interview that we did, um, you know, reading the feedback around that, it was really strong that uh, you can see why we picked him because he's a hockey-first guy, very, very passionate about the game, Um, One of the things he talked to us about in the interview, Todd, wasn't it about, he loves the grind of the longer seasons. That's, you know, he talked in, in our podcast as well, about when he went over to, to Europe, it wasn't as many games and all that. And he loves the grind. He loves being up till, you know, silly o'clock in the morning, cutting video ready for the next day. Um, And I think, um, you know, it was always going to be so hard to replace Lordo who, you know, was our first ever coach of the new era. Um, I think it's in, in some ways it's handy that we've had this kind of reset year uh, that we're not going straight from Lordo into, into Scaldi. Um, But, you know, it's like the, it's like the start of the next era. I feel. And um, I'm really excited to, to get him over here and, uh, and see what he can do. And, um, you know keep our success moving along and uh, and take us to the next level
4: i totally agree and you know what i just want to bring up one thing about the scaldi scaldi interview i really got chirped about the the, the whole interview process you guys are really all over me <laughs> <laughs> about the lengthy like about the lengthy interview process like scaldi scaldi feels comfortable enough to chirp me about it you guys are yeah running <laughs> within franny who's involved in all of it like it it was long, but it was like, yeah. it was fun though. Like it was. Tell,
3: tell, are we, are we allowed to talk around the, the fourth round of the interview, what you did for that.
4: Sure. I don't even remember the fourth round. What did I do? <laughs> who,
3: who you got, who you got to interview, which wasn't Scaldi. Who did you get to talk to that wasn't Scaldi? Buddy? Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> know, you know, I got it my phone. I got it as Scaldi's buddy. Uh, um, I still talk to him. I still, uh, uh Scaldy's Ronnie, Ronnie, Scaldy's Scaldi's buddy, Ronnie. So I asked, I, asked I, was, I was actually funny that Scaldi didn't bring it up. So, so yeah, I was going into round four, I think. And I asked Scaldy for, and like, he was our guy, like, honestly, probably from the first interview. Remember Franny after we got, yeah. up? We, didn't, we didn't really know him. And then we got the interview. We're like, wow, this guy's blow us away. But but yeah, I, I asked him after like the fourth round, I was like, Hey, yeah, you know, everything's, everything's checking out your, your reference are checking out. I'm just going to need, and I asked him for like, I just going to need like the guy, a couple guys that you worked with in this organization, maybe a reference from Cincinnati and uh, just your best friend. He's like, Oh no, my best friend, my best friend doesn't like, work in hockey. I'm like, no, I'm totally fine with it. I need your best friend. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, like, you've got a best friend that doesn't play hockey that you still hang out with and have beers with. He's like, yeah. I'm like, that's who I want to talk to. And he laughed, Scaldi laughed. He's like, all right. All right. You can talk to Ronnie. <laughs> 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 and so, so I called Ronnie and we had a great chat and he, I think Ronnie loved it. Like I, like imagine, you know, you don't get a lot of calls about like, if you're not in hockey, about like a reference on a hockey guy. And we talked and we'd like, I was like what kind of guy is it and like and i said to scaldi after i was like you don't want ronnie just giving you a reference like you want ronnie reading your eulogy <laughs> <laughs> there's there isn't a guy alive i want ronnie to talk to you guys about me when i leave the car <laughs> <laughs> like, Ron, ronnie gave the best description of scaldi and like he, he basically was like he, like he made him out to be like the, literally the greatest human being alive. And I, and I loved it. And then, so I told Scaldi about it. And then Scaldi's like, you know, if I get this job, Ronnie's going to take all the credit for it. Yeah. <laughs> like on, 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 Scaldi's birthday, I got a pick, I got a text from Ronnie and he was, or I, first of all, I text Ronnie on his birthday. And then I got a text from Ronnie on Scaldi's birthday. And he sent me a picture of him in a, and he's got a devil's hoodie on. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, he's Coming over for sure. Yeah. So we're having, we're having Ronnie night.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> guys, yeah, I'm funny. tapping out. I'm done, we didn't even cover the Bruins coming over. Oh, yeah, that's
0: yeah.
3: that's that's episode two.
1: That's
4: episode yeah. two. Yeah. Like, much like my interview process, this ran a lot longer than I. <laughs> <had>. <laughs> hey, but you'll be glad. You'll be glad. Trust me. You, you gotta be thorough. You it's. I, I can see why some coaches, why some teams have a revolving doors. So if you don't do a lot of interviews, you, you, I mean, think of. Think of the first round Franny. There were some guys that we thought would have been the guy and we didn't even get them past the first interview. So,
1: were there a lot of names that without naming names Todd, how how prominent are the Devils now, albeit okay, still a minor league hockey team, but but
4: were there a lot of credible names who wanted the job? Yeah, yeah, lots. There was there was there was I mean, if we gave you the list and people recruited by CVs, there was, there's was some ones that you would have been shocked at. Maybe we didn't get it further than we did, but like. Yeah. And there, there, was some,
3: there was some that we actually scratched off because we felt that they were too high, highly qualified for the job because it was, you know, it, it would have been too short a term thing for them, wouldn't it? And we wanted somebody for the long term. And, uh, you know, but those are the kind of guys throwing their, their names in the hat.
4: But also guy like, like, we're a different structure than a lot of teams, right? Like we, a lot of the guys, you know, we one of the parts of the interview process was cutting video and showing that they knew how to cut video. And like, there's some guys that like, you know, and it's nothing against them, but there's coaches that coach at very high levels who have video coaches. And, and we explain like, if you if you don't cut your own video, it's probably not the right job for you because you don't have a video coach here. And and yeah, like a great qualified coach might not fit into this because maybe they, you know, like, are you going to be able to cut video for till two in the morning after a Saturday game for a Sunday game, you know? So there's all those factors. And, and, and that's why, you know, that's why we got the guy. That's why we got the right guy. So,
0: so there we have it. Our conversation with Cardiff Devils, Managing Director, Todd Kelman, who was uh, very gracious enough to spend a, a few hours talking about all of the things um, that shaped his hockey life. And boy, oh boy, can that guy tell a good story. I really, really want to get some sort of, I know he knows them, so maybe
1: a location, location, location for the haunted
2: house. Yeah, Absolutely. In. In the silver carpet's still there. <laughs> 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 didn't he remember the best Don of Kebab fan in the whole league was in Bracknell, about 400 yards <laughs> from Bracknell. ice so reckon he didn't mention it once. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I, I really, that's the first thing I want to do as soon as we get uh travel restrictions lifted is is go on a, a, a drive down to San Sang Lee farm and uh, and check <laughs> find out the horses. find the horses, see if the disco ball's still there and uh yeah, go to the dancing room.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that those parties over the three years probably exercised any
2: group of that was lurking in that farm. I think the the safe to say, I think that's uh, episode one of possibly two, three, or possibly four. Before (laughs) we get to the, uh, if we ever did the GM stuff with the devils, um, I'm 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 sure there's many many stories and uh, still to come from Todd. Yeah,
3: I've I've spent many a a night where we've had you know beers after games or Belfast trips where you you end up naturally in these kind of conversations and funny stories. So I thought I would have heard all his stories, but you know, I, I think there was only a couple that I'd heard before, and there was uh, a lot of new ones in there. So, yeah, Todd is, uh, has had a, an amazing career and uh, and lots of fun times along the way, and uh, it was really really good to get those stories out there tonight.
1: I'll have to watch the episode back. I must admit, I stopped listening halfway through. Um... <laughs>
3: Uh, no 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 john come on <laughs> now we're friends again be friends <laughs>
1: we're friends um talk, we got, we talk got it, two bits of talk- housekeeping haven't we before we um wrap up the show tonight uh, so it's franny has made the most exciting discovery of all time but hub do you want to um uh talk about a, a good cause that's going on and a, and a guy who um you know we know from the hockey earth gardener he's uh I'll forgive him, he's not even Forest fan, but he's generally <laughs> a, a very good poker, a very talented cricketer. And uh, he was speaking to you, and uh, we'd like to give reference to uh, a little cause he's doing.
2: Yeah, Gareth is uh, no, is a, a Devils fan. Um, so JD knows him, he's known to quite a few of the, the Devils fan base. Um, unfortunately, he lost a friend, Peter Edwards, who's uh, another Devils fan. Um, passed away recently, been on dialysis for a, a long time. And Gareth wanted to do something in lockdown in his memory. So he set, um, he set himself a task to walk around. Um, it's run by a company called end to end So it's like when these uh, challenges were over the course of the year, you, you basically walk what would be the le- the length of Wales, like coast to coast, starting from so following around the coast and all the way back down again. Um, he's done 320 miles since the 3rd of January um, this year, and he's trying to get ahead of the game um, before obviously lockdown finishes on the walking path. He would be just past Milford Haven in West Wales. Um, He's trying to raise 3000 pounds. He's about a third of the way there at the moment. So um, it's a huge, huge effort for a great cause and we'll put the details out on Twitter and we'll put the link on the YouTube video and stuff. So um, it's a great effort, great, great thing he's doing and um wish him all the best in this fundraising here here
0: indeed stick tap to gareth there uh, we'll put all of the details on how you can uh pull these endeavors on all our social media and the uh, best room for the uh, the rest of the uh, challenge i'm sure you'll smash it
2: but there's there's something yeah, the special
1: yeah, he's done only four, almost 400 miles, and he's only halfway through the Todd Kelman episode. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and 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 Franny, uh, like, I tip my hat to you. you. You, this is like being CSI devils for the last two and a bit years. I don't know since we've been doing the podcast. So, um, th- take take it away. This for, for anyone who's listened to all our episodes, there's a. A running theme and and, and you've sold them solve the mystery of a lifetime
3: yeah it's been a big week I've, <laughs> I've got him i've got him and regular listeners will know the hymn that i'm talking about is the one the only the legendary one punch so i don't know why i didn't <laughs> think of this before but every good sports team needs a good statistician and we have a good statistician. We've got Mark Finn. So I reached out to Mark Finn. I said, can you tell me what players we had playing during that first Super League year? Friendly games, everything. And he sent me over a list of players. And as soon as I saw it, your it second name down, the one below him was Glenn Anderson. I just, just put him in that company. <laughs> but, the guy, yeah, so the top one was uh, Marcus Fubenko, and the second one down, and then as soon as I saw him, that is our guy. One Punch is unveiled as Grant Morrow. Dun, 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 dun. So I want to also tell you that Grant Morrow is from Vancouver, and when I looked up uh, Ken Priestley, <laughs> he is also he is from Richmond in BC and the distance between Richmond and uh, and where Grant Morrow lives is um, 9.6 miles. So well, you, cannot, you cannot tell me that this story where Ken Priestley <laughs> skates with one punch, now known as Grant Morrow, we're going to use his proper name, uh is made up it's not it's true we found him on we found him on hockey DB six foot six 190 pounds um, he spent some time with North Battleford North Stars but uh, we found him and not only that but I've tracked him down on Facebook and live on the show I know this is going to be backwards add friend there it is. Friend request, gone across to Grant Morrow. So we'll update that in another edition to see whether I got accepted or to see whether I got iced. And he's actually a listener of the show and uh, he's pretty pissed off at me.
0: I mean, that's the, the, I just, I can't put into words how happy I am that we finally put this mystery to bed. But the second challenge now has to be getting him on the pod. To talk to him about his memories of Brett.
3: Yeah, it could be a short episode, about his <laughs> career, which did span two games That's and, we need. One, and maybe one shift.
0: But, but Maybe um... we just do a collection so we get One Punch, Beavis, Cannonball, mm. Disco <laughs> Stew. Cannonball. Ronnie, Ronnie's on the board now. He's, he's another one yeah. of the characters. He just yeah. well, made his debut in this episode, but Ronnie. We get One-eyed all the characters in. in one One-eyed one <laughs> All of it. Let's just keep an eye on them. <laughs> yeah.
3: And if anyone knows One-Eyed Al, then
0: <laughs> send them our way. I just think we do that ultimate episode of all of my favourite people that I've met. Fire yeah. your stories. <laughs> one big episode. I do not forget a
3: um, man in, uh, in Hungary as well. Yeah. Um,
0: the interpreter.
3: No, no. No, Discus Stewart's the equipment manager. Oh, um, ah. the The guy in Hungary was. Oh
1: the gosh. guy who was recovering alcoholic, and you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, on, on,
3: uh, yeah the, the we got on the Unicom. Um, yeah, he'll, he'll
0: come he back to me. I forgot his name. He's one of my, <laughs> my favorite people. Yeah, that's what Unicom does, too. Don't you <laughs> <your> mind? <laughs> yeah, anyway. Well, I'm, I have to go back and listen to the, uh, the pre season episode now because that's where he made his debut. Bless him. Yeah. Um Who knows where he is? I bet you can't find him on Facebook. Yeah, bet you can. Tune <laughs> <laughs> in next week. See if <laughs> <laughs> can find the recovering alcoholic from Hungary. Uh, guys, it's been uh, another great episode. Uh, it's um, got some momentum at the moment. We've been checking out guests, and episodes like no one's business, and each one of them has been uh, totally unique in their own way, Um, so I guess we uh, get our heads together and find out who's next to come uh, behind the bench. That just leaves me, Gareth Kewish, on behalf of Mr. John Donovan.
1: Uh, Thank you, James, it's been a pleasure.
0: Uh, Mr. Neil Francis. Thanks all, Another, another good one in the can there. Indeed, to say uh, good evening, and uh, as always, Producers, you get the uh, very fine job of hitting play on Brass Bonanza.